It's the same old story. It's been a long day at the job, or maybe it's just starting to feel long, and you feel that urge to stretch your legs and get a little bit of a break. You walk down the street, or maybe you get behind the wheel of your car, and you feel the weight begin to lift. You walk through the doors, and the sound of the place starts to clear the air. You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy with your hosts, Caleb and Isaac. Ladies, gentlemen, and all those in between, welcome to, I think, our first comic review uh, of the channel. Uh, definitely the first comic book review, yep. Yeah, welcome, welcome, guys, to uh, our first episode dealing with comic books. After four years, we're finally doing comic books. Probably should have done this four years ago, but you know what, whatever, it's now time to do it. Yep. Is it the best time? I don't know, it's quarantine, so I guess it's the best time, but... Yeah, and I've been, ever since I switched to reading digitally, um, I've been reading a fuck ton of comics, so... Oh, yeah, you've been reading way more comics, which is nice. It's, yeah, it's opened the doors for me. But for this episode, we're going to be covering DC, The New Frontier. The inaugural episode. And why is that, sir? Because the next film on our DC retrospective is Justice League, The New Frontier, so... Yes. So it seems appropriate at this time. And it's wonderful because I never read this book before. Probably would have never read it. I rented this, the graphic novel, like in parts. I think the first two or one trade paperbacks, or graphic novel, excuse me, about six years ago, I'd say. I couldn't honestly tell you what. Like, it was obviously the beginning with the, the losers. I remember that part. And I don't know if I got to the point where. I remember reading the part of John Henry. I remember that part. But after that, I don't remember anything. So, but this is the first time I have read this. Not, sorry, first time. This is the second time. As of today, uh, it was the second time I read it all the way through. And you've read this how many times, sir? I read it once all the way through. And then on my second read for this podcast, I read it once like about a month ago. But I figured I'd do a little bit of a refresher. But I only got to... It was the scene with Hal and Abin Sir having their little chat. That's when I had to stop and I didn't get a chance to go back. So, Okay. Uh, by the way, everybody, happy Super Bowl Sunday to um, date myself here. But we are. It is, it is an American tradition, of course. And this book is very American. To the oh, point yes. of it was, it was written by a Canadian, so... Oh, really? Darwin Cook's Canadian? I didn't know that. He is from Nova Scotia, I believe. Interesting. Let yeah. me fact check that before I'm talking out of my butt. Yeah, and I'll just quickly ask, have you read anything else by Darwin Cook? Uh, other than like some of the stories that he wrote in the back of this, n- yet no, but now I certainly want to. Yeah, me too. Toronto, Canada. There we go. Oh, okay, Toronto. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd be curious to see if he uh, wrote on anyone else, or uh, drew on anyone else's books. 
So. Uh, that's a good point. Look at the uh, look at the episode. I would suggest to you, Caleb, and to the audience, uh, go watch the Comic Tropes episode he recently put up about Darwin Cook because he reviewed this mighty book as well. Oh, and I didn't most know that. Of his, uh, in, uh, his other stuff that he had done. So that's another. That's that'll give you guys some facts. But here we're talking about. Probably talk about some of that stuff maybe further down the line. But for now, we're talking about the New Frontier. So, Caleb, how did you feel about the New Frontier? Okay, Very yeah, nice. I wrote on my board. Um, the board's uh, it's green, by the way. I'm definitely feeling this one. Yes, um, But I wrote, This book made me feel like I need to reevaluate my stance on reading team books because I've never cared in the slightest about reading a Justice League book until this read. So I, I fucking love this thing. Um, I thought all the... I guess I shouldn't do a summary yet, but you go ahead and do your part. <laughs> uh, this book made me feel compelled to write socially conscious stories uh, with these characters during the 1960s. <laughs> it was... Yeah, I I, I... I... Obviously, I'm showing my true colors, of course. Flipping the sign, I'm feeling it. I'm really feeling it. Yeah, it's funny. What you said there made me think of a previous board that I'd written out and then erased, where it was... Uh, I said, this book made me feel like uh, the Justice League should only exist in the 50s and 60s because this is just a perfect setting for them and to explore their ideas and to kind of look at what the America they represented was. Because, I mean, Justice League in 2020, I mean, what... I feel like, what's there to really comment on, you know? I mean... <laughs> I honestly agree. I, I can't agree more. I think... And do you think that's the same with Avengers or No. I've never read a, a, a single Avengers book, so I've got no clue. But yeah, I, I, I don't know what they would look like. They certainly look like... The Marvel Cinematic Universe has certainly made them exist nowadays, whereas DC has not done a good job of showing their uh, uh, their their spotlight team of, of being translatable in the 21st century, excuse me. Yeah, and it, I mean, that could be why... I mean, I've, I have a, a like maybe like seven or eight justice league comics that i read as a kid they were they were all from the early 2000s the art was terrible um i wish i had pulled them out so i could um say who drew them but yeah i read them and i i never had any interest in reading any other dc or any other justice league books and so even in my adulthood i still had that same kind of bias but this book's completely opened the doors like if i, I don't know if there's going to be a lot of other stuff like this but i'll definitely be more open to reading any justice league books i that sound interesting so do you know when this book was uh, published? 2006, right? Uh, yes, 2004, 2005, and 2008. I think that was when, like, the, like, not, I don't know, Absolute, but some of the editions were re-released, I believe. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't think the, going back to what you said, I don't think the Justice League can't exist nowadays. I think the roster needs to change. DC hmm. very much believes in legacy, and I also believe in legacy characters more than I do multiverse. And so... I think if we had a different lineup of members on the Justice League in the 21st century, I think it could probably be way more applicable. Because you have the Justice League of the 60s, the JSA of the 40s, and whatever happens in between, and then you could probably still have the Justice League exist today, but they have to be a different set of characters. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Yeah, and I guess we'll get into more about what the, what the characters represent for their stories and how that kind of comes together as a whole, but... This is certainly a, a, a character-centric book. Not a character-centric book, but it is 
character driven. There we go. It's it's driven by the characters. I don't think driven by the action. Until we get to the last bit, but I will talk about that oh as, well, as yeah. well. But I guess we should start. Well, actually, sorry. Beforehand, beforehand, uh, your best thing, worst thing. Best thing is, um, well, I don't know. It's it's a a dance between the writing and the art. Um, what's funny is I feel like um, as the story, because this it, I wouldn't say that the story starts to lose me in the end, but I become less interested in what's going on in the end. But the art takes a, a whole another level i feel like once we start getting into some of that crazy stuff that we see at the end so i mean Fair the enough. whole book is just so well-rounded um the worst thing actually i'd say the worst thing is some of the editing choices oh uh, which we'll definitely get into yeah <laughs> yeah fair enough you'll 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 bring uh you'll bring that up when we get to those scenes i assume yeah uh, but same to you best thing worst thing my best thing, uh, the whole book. No, I could, I could not think of like one good thing. That's not true. I, uh, that's me being sarcastic. Uh, this is really stupid. It's, it's very minor. Wonder Woman being taller than Superman. Oh, I, I don't think I noticed that. Yeah, I don't think you noticed it either. But I noticed it immediately. I was like, that's amazing. I'm, I'm glad that we finally, because Amazon's in either certain media depictions, and I don't not read much Greek mythology with them, but they're always said to be very tall women, like very tall, muscular, uh, but equally beauty, beautiful women. And we finally have that with Wonder Woman here, and she's tall. And of course, Gal Gadot is probably the closest thing to a statuist stunner, but then there's Henry Cavill and Ben Affleck next to her, and they're like just giants. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. So she's the clo- like I think she's the tallest woman to probably play Wonder Woman so far, but... Yeah, it's just nice to finally see Wonder Woman standing over Superman. I don't, I don't know. That's so weird for me to say, but I, I just enjoy that. Which is perfect for their dichotomy in the book. I mean, absolutely it's that constant battle between their ideologies. And then worst thing, uh, I have two. Uh, intrinsically, the little girl John Wilson meets. Oh, oh, really? That's your worst thing. That's well, I- intrinsically, extrinsically. Mm-hmm. Additional focus on um, the cult of the center and John Jones bringing up John Wilson to Faraday. Oh, okay. After he comes back. Again, I'll probably elaborate a little more on that. And the other, maybe elaborate what I meant about the cult. I mean, the paranoia of the center tying more to the Cold War paranoia. I was kind of hoping we got a little more of that because I feel like this, we have the center, but we have just all these characters and we're, we're jumping everywhere to the to all these different characters around the DC universe at this time. But I feel like there's some out of focus moments with the center and I wish there was more paranoia amongst the because we see we were told that, but you always want to do show don't tell. And there are mm-hmm. parts, I don't want to give it that like but uh maybe again, my only set only my second read and I did see a lot of different stuff uh or notice a lot of different things this time around, the second time around. Yeah, I'll, I'll say on my second reading, some of the center stuff felt a little bit more um, more fleshed out than it did the yes. first time around. But yeah, I guess we'll, we'll get into it here. Okay, so there's the introduction, of course, by Paul Levitz. There's that, and there's the prologue, uh, where we basically get a general what's going on uh, after World War II. It is right after World War II. We start on this island. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Pacific, yeah, 1945... 
and we get the story of the losers. And I, right now, uh, I have no idea who the losers are, but boy, does Darwin Cook know who they are and certainly gives them all a voice. Yeah, and of course, I love, um, like, uh, there's that old Arthur Conan Doyle. Uh, I, I know it more from the movie that they made, but like The Lost World. The Lost World. Yeah, and for whatever reason, I love the idea of that of an island out there with dinosaurs on it, and so I, I really enjoyed this early section here. That's fair. Uh, although I don't know if these are actually dinosaurs. I, w- I don't believe they're... Tra- <laughs> they're obviously not the traditional dinosaurs we know no. of, but I wouldn't classify these things as, you know, th- those that walked the Earth many, many moons ago. Uh, no, they're kind of like a weird... Um, like, maybe what the center, like, viewed them as. They're like almost his imitation of them. Yeah. But I, I love the tone of that early losers section. The art is, is, of course, great as it is through the whole book, but it's got a little bit more of a horror vibe to it. Yeah, it's pretty fun. The tone is nice. Uh, I always, I, I do enjoy the the mixtures of the tones and how we jump between the supernatural or the superhuman and then the street level. Mm-hmm. And this is just wonderful. Like it takes. In like in like a certain D and D campaign or tabletop campaign or whatever, you have a bunch of normal people who go up against this like you know this Tyrannosaurus Rex. Not so much supernatural, but like it's it's still sort of natural. But of course, there's going to be somebody's lives going to be cost. And yeah, no, that was the the gunner in the losers, and he just immediately dies. And it takes they don't even kill a T Rex; they just blow off like part of its arm, and then it just leaves. It's mm-hmm. like eh. I can't, uh, I gotta find more, like, prey to eat. Which is interesting that all the, that all the dinosaurs still, like, attack each other or eat each other. That's, that's interesting. They're almost sentient and free-willed to go around the island. But then, like, I guess once the center calls for them to do something, they're, they lose all their individuality and become mindless machines. Yeah, it's just like his, like his own little piece of chaos out there. Yeah. In the middle of nowhere. They all become cannon fodder. Yeah, then the um, then the Sarge goes out and tries hunting the T-Rex down, I believe. And to get a... I guess get a lay of the land. And then we have the other two remaining guys, John Cloud and uh, the other guy, I forget his name. And he... Oh, yeah, Skipper. And he go, gets hauled off by what looks to be a pterodactyl. And other than that... We find Colonel Rick Flagg, who leader of the Suicide Squad at this point. Or is it Task Force X? No, yeah, it's Task Force X. It will be Suicide Squad later on. Oh yeah, why did why 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 are they on this island? Because Nazi scientists who were acquired, appropriated, whatever you want to call it, by the United States and the Russians after the war, uh, needed to get from point A to point B, and something happened in between traveling and they have to get back or they they go radio silent and afterwards they call on the losers to find them and that's where we end off here and so he escorts Rick Flag back to uh, the platoon they have with them little dinghy what does he say here he says um, oh yeah here most people I encounter regard the Navito as savages but it was my American side that demanded vengeance for the lives of my fellow warriors and yeah, that certainly shows John as a as a character. I'll say that just being loyal towards his his crew, and I I very much enjoyed that part. 
And I love the irony of when he's going to defeat, he's go, he first goes to destroy the, or he's going to destroy the T-Rex, excuse me. He doesn't even realize that a line dropped by a flag earlier that as he booby traps some of the island and just hits a tripwire and just goes off and like just mangles him and destroys his dog or kills his dog. And then finally puts two, takes two grenades out and unclips them and goes right into the T-Rex's mouth and boom! John Cloud was a loser. I, I love that shot of uh, John Cloud jumping into the T-Rex's mouth on that. That was amazing. Page 41. That's, that's amazing. That's yeah. technically page 40. I guess oh, on, I think on it's 41. Me. Oh, yeah, it's 40 on mine, too, actually. I'm not sure why I said 41. That's okay. <laughs> Even says 40 on my notes. <laughs> yeah, please please call out, like, what page number. Yeah, page numbers are perfect for, for this one. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, then we get that great little kind of a summary of what the book's talking about with the whole, yeah, where all the heroes go. Kind of just looking at what America's turned into post the war. Yep. I love the fact that on page 43, we have an explanation of why the superheroes were not involved in uh, the war efforts in Europe. Because Hitler had control of the legendary Spear of Destiny. Mm -hmm. And that was his I guess failsafe or was it absolute what's that what's that term not fail safe uh, mutual uh, destruction or something like yeah, that yeah something like that yeah when when both like arm with both sides have like the same amount of arms and there's like a standoff not a standoff yeah i forget what that's called um stalemate stalemate thank you yeah they even like say that in the panel below that one in the conclusion of the war in the pacific was another story the advent of nuclear warfare gave Man, the ability to destroy the world several times over with scant years of their alliance to defeat the Nazis, the chasm between America and Russian ideologies deepened with the deadly concordon of warheads creating a stalemate. There we go. Yeah, it says it right there. Stalemate. The Cold War began, an era of espionage, blackmail, nationalistic propaganda. Mm -hmm. Boy, this, this was released 2004. It's so funny that this was released the same year as The Incredibles. Yeah, that is funny. That's definitely funny. And how there's similar, what would you call it? There's there's similar themes in both the, this book and the movie, and how the superheroes were. They even mentioned the word retire, but again, mm -hmm. there's it's all coincidence. There's no way. I don't think Brad. Bird, I think Brad Bird or I think Darwin Cook knew who Brad Bird was. I don't know if they ever worked together because I don't think Brad Bird. He did. He worked at Warner Brothers for Iron Giant, but he never worked in like the. DC animation department, I believe, which Darwin Cook was very much part of. Mm. And so I just, I don't know, it's, it's funny. A lot of people might throw like, oh, why they both had the same ideas. Well, I, I, when it gets down to it, I think there are just some ideas that make sense. Yeah. And it's kind of writing that kind of Watchmen in a way, kind of looking back and placing them in a different uh, kind of context and uh, with like the Nixon thing too, so... Yeah, and he's in this book, funny enough. Yeah, he is, yeah. Yeah. Oh, but I was going to say, uh, in that little montage, I love the that they have poor Shazam or Captain Marvel for you, where they're like, others were simple-minded patriots, happy to wave so long and go peddle their papers. I was like, oh, poor bastard. <laughs> it is funny, because he wasn't DC at the time. He was Fawcett Comics in Fawcett City. And it wasn't until the 60s when DC bought out that company and all the rights him so i like the fact that darwin integrates them into 
uh, integrates him and several other characters, I believe, into the DC universe proper here, which is nice. No, oh, I thought so. I thought you were saying maybe that's why they gave him this little bit of uh, bad press here, but. <laughs> uh, yes and no. Yeah, I love the way he mixes in so many people. Some of the people I'd only like very vaguely heard of. So I was like, oh, that's kind of fun that they're throwing him in here. These really not well-known people at all. Yeah, like nobody knows who the losers are. Nobody knows who the challengers of the unknown were. People might know who Task Force X is. And he wanted to do a lot with the Blackhawks, but he, I think DC gave him a mandate saying, no, you can't use them. And it's like, what? Oh, okay. Hmm. So that is a little weird. I like that the Spectre's there. And then a rare few displayed the cunning and conviction to evade hmm. capture. Yeah, like nice. Sir Batman. Yeah, yep. but then we cut to very young Hal Jordan here. Going to see one of the heroes who worked with his dad, Chuck Yeager. And I also like how they bring in real-world figures like that. And just kind of throw them in for little, little cameos, usually. Oh, yeah. It's wonderful. I, I gotta not just say that. But I, I do enjoy that. I, I don't know... When it comes to certain, when it comes to novels, like like print books, not so much colored books or books with illustrations in it, but I don't know where the line is between where you have to get permission and free use, because we have yeah. Chuck Yeager in here and we have Walter Cronkite in here as well. I guess it's, I guess you can use like public figures like the presidents and pol political leaders. But I don't know about actors, because I don't know if they're a little bit, like, uppity. It's, it, it depends on who's in the free domain and not. Yeah, exactly. I'm not I'm not sure how long that lasts. Like, seven years after someone's death or something like that. Like, we get, obviously, we'll see, you know, a, a prominent boxer, and there's, a, in, this, in the same, like, chapter, we have a big prominent singer at the time as well. Oh, yeah, I was going to mention that. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Captain Cold blows the shit out of Frank Sinatra. Yeah, love that's funny. But... Before we get to that, of course, we get uh, Hal Jordan in his uh, last flight during the end of the Korean War there. Well, first we, for, before that, first we're in Gotham City, 1952, and it's the apprehension or trying to apprehend uh, the superhero known as, or vigilante, excuse me, known as Ourman. And we yep. have this great cover story, uh, Political Affairs by Iris West, who you probably didn't know who she was, but after, I don't know how long you read that, uh, this little story that she did. Oh, I I read all that all that stuff, but yeah. I always love like when writers go into newspaper reels, and actually, it, it's a great way of getting to know that character as well and what they stand for. She is technically, I think, unbiased in this situation, but I think there's a hint of she's pissed off at what's going on at the situation at hand. Yeah, a little bit of a hint. Yeah, as you, there's always that you know tone uh, in whatever somebody writes, but. Yeah, I mean, not even really necessarily a hint. I mean, she ends it basically praising our man as, like, this hero. Oh, yeah. So. He was principled and flawed, loved by those he helped, and vilified by those that sought to control him. Upon post-humanist reflection, a tragic irony is revealed. Rex Tyler, a.k.a. the Our Man, was a quintessential American. And boy, that's a, that's a, big, that's a big theme about, like, you know, what, uh, what it means to be an American uh, throughout this whole novel, this, this entire, like, book. Yeah. It's, it is certainly fascinating in what that, that tells. It's, this is obviously not the end-all, be-all uh, commentary, or end-or, not commentary, review of this book, and many others have probably critiqued and analyzed this book further than uh, either of us have, but yeah, I, just, I also love the initial, like, Batman and Superman duked it out, and both are just ideologically opposed. Mm -hmm. 
Still better than uh, BVS. Oh, I mean, of course. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but yes, we get Hal Jordan. Uh, we are now, sorry, we're now in Chapter 3. Yeah, so, I I mean, should we do more summaries instead of kind of, because we're already like 40 minutes here. I'm sure it's only actually half an hour, but. <laughs> I want to cut this out, but I, I was really wanting to do like, uh, this is probably going to be a long commentary. Let's put it that way. This is going to be a long one. Yeah, but I mean, it's over 500 pages. I mean, we can't. <laughs> no. Exactly. So we can do it. Um. But anyway, yeah, so we have Hal Jordan, basically, we get it here that he certainly does not want to kill these, uh, these Vietnam, Vietnam, sorry, no, not Vietnam, this is the Korean War, pardon me, this is the Korean War. Korean War, yeah. Uh, we don't get it yet, but we certainly, we certainly get a really cool action scene of his co-pilot, um, Ace Morgan, I believe. Yep. Yeah, Colonel Ace Morgan, um doing a really cool stunt of which I guess Mission Impossible Fallout did this stunt where it was like they had to get the parachute or get, get him out of his or get his parachute released not so much in this fashion but but similarly sure. uh, yeah and then we have Miss Lane and Jimmy Olsen also in South Korea and they're leaving off so that's you know a good setup to where they are and nice seeing yeah, she's heading back to Skull for a nice bath. <laughs> yes, she really wants that bath. Nice little setup there, given us that there were reporters here as well. I mean, there always were reporters. Yeah, and I'll just quickly call out page 65 again, just a beautiful little piece of art with yes, Lois Lane peeling the, absolutely. the orange. Certainly peeling the orange and where she got it from. But yeah, so Hal, of course, his ship gets shot down because some uh, North Korean fighters didn't hear about the war ending. And he lands in a trench with another soldier who didn't uh, hear about the war ending. Yeah, apparently that was a real thing. And it kind of makes sense that not all sides knew about the ceasefire at some point. Yeah, it happens all the time. Where you get, you read the instance where there's still fighting amongst the ceasefire, but it's, and that's fair, it's just, you know, the the knowledge and the, the information wasn't given to them at that point, so. Yeah, but the helicopter that Lois and, and Jimmy are taking back just happens to come by. Yep. So they pick Hal up, but it's too late because he already killed the uh, the soldier. He's trying not to, and of course, as probably many people said, not to be a broken record, I love what happens at the end where, you know, Miss Lane is interviewing him, and he speaks, he speaks Korean because he was desperately trying to remember what was the, what was the words, what were the, what was the, uh, the sentence to say, it's over, it's over, make war no more. Yeah, and have you have you watched the the film yet? Uh, I did years ago. I haven't recently, but I think that's in there. I believe. Have you recently watched it? Yeah, I watched it uh, yesterday. Yeah, nice. Well, I guess we'll talk about that in the commentary for that. Yeah. Uh, chapter four: Gods and Monsters. The arrival of the Martian. He, he's not called Martian Manhunter in this, by the way. Yeah, just John Jones. That's pretty funny. He's he's legit. Yeah, just John jo John Jones or John Jones, and I love how uh, Darwin Cook draws him. Yeah, it's awesome. It's really good, and they also he also throws in a he also throws in a line. I don't know if it's, it's not in you know either page seventy eight or seventy nine, but he throws it in later that this is this is his way out. He throws away a line that says uh, he has fuzzy memories of what Mars is like. And that's a perfect way of like, oh, what was, we, we certainly want to see Martian life. 
Uh, I don't want to do that. So I always wonder if this was like a... Because this, this is a, certainly a great pilot. This is a great pilot book. A uh, good starting off point for a Justice League series if you ever wanted to do that. Even some solo stuff as well. Yeah, but I don't think I'd want to see them continue this. It's such a perfect little small story. It certainly is. And everything's... All, all their little points are encapsulated by the end of it, so I don't really know if there's too much to, to explore afterwards. But yeah, it's a very brief scene with just him arriving... Uh, unintentionally and then kind of I don't even think we see him take the guy's identity at this point not yet that's a little later but now on page 80 we have by Clark Kent uh, a little story he wrote about uh, what's going on in Indochina uh, in the French region I believe they said and what Superman and Wonder Woman are up to yeah and this is actually my favorite uh, part of the book yep both times I read it this is my favorite part of the book because yeah he lands He's off looking for Wonder Woman because she's been um, missing in action, I guess. Because they are both controlled by the government now, or at least, pardon me, in the service of the go of the government. Yeah, and he comes across a little a little uh, village area with a whole bunch of dead bodies, and then a hut with a whole bunch of celebrating people, and Wonder Woman's there in the center, a whole bunch of women just having a ball, and uh, yeah, he... spoils of war, as they say. Yeah, and he finds out that Wonder Woman rescued all these women who are basically being used as sex slaves. Yep. And she gave them the weapons and they massacred all those men. And he's just horrified by it. She didn't she she didn't do anything. She beat the guys up, knocked them out, and left the guns there and was like, Whatever happens wasn't my decision. I made no choice after that. She basically set them up to be massacred. I mean Highly implied. Yeah. But just, especially the way Darwin Cook draws uh, Clark during these scenes. Yep. Just makes him look so naive and kind of just the, uh, what, what would you call him? Well, remember, they said, they, they called her the Immortal, I believe, back in, oh, what was the page number now? Give me a second here. Yeah, let's see. Uh, by an Immortal and an Alien. They're, I think you're right, because Diana's Immortal, and Clark is much more naive. And there is that... There's that Kansas upbringing that is probably where he does try, you know, try to believe in the good of all humanity. But during this time of of American history, it's it's certainly testing him. I'll say that. Yeah, and there's kind of an air about him where he he almost feels like he's like a character out of like a '50s, very American, like kind of upstanding citizen. He always does what's right, and just doesn't kind of kind of see the gray areas of the real world. Remember the big blue boy scout. The Big Blue Boy Scout, exactly. That is certainly what he is. And, you know, we have... This is probably the, one of the best depictions of the Trinity I've ever seen, even though we don't see them at all, like, together uh, until, like, some of the after-issues, uh, the, the mm. issues that he wrote afterwards. But it's it's always weird when you pair those three up because we always... We said before that Batman is a balance between the, you know, the, 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 the light and the dark, and he can go to both sides easily but also go back to them uh, as easily as that but also Wonder Woman is also that I believe as well so it's where, where you would always try to have the the, the, the gray the black and the white uh, as your trio but this is like we have two grays and a white um, as the Trinity in DC which is interesting I wouldn't even call her gray I, I just think she's realistic I mean That's I guess true. you could say being realistic is gray perhaps but like she said, like this is civil war. All she did was gave them a chance to survive in a, like a 
chaotic place. Yeah. I mean, what would have Clark done had he come along to the village? I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> Probably, you know, chain him up and uh, taking them in in due process and go about the system. Yeah, maybe tried to bring some, like, aid to these women, you know, and then a couple months later when a new group strolls in, takes over again, uh, just set them right back up for failure again. Yeah. Yeah, I guess moving past that, uh, do you have anything else to say about that scene, or...? That's where we get, you know, how Wonder Woman is taller than him. And that's, yeah, that's also, again, to your naivety Superman point. Of just what he, of just her looking over him and, you know, again, her being immortal, she has a lot more views on the world. And mm -hmm. eons of training and probably experience from the other Amazons that were around at the time of, before they separated from the uh, Greek culture. Perhaps, I don't remember if they are off the Greek culture. Depends on the occasions. Uh, I don't know, I like some of the background women, at least the designs of them. I like the fact that none of them look the same. Yep. Uh, really gets, he, he gets the look of the, uh, of like the, this is weird to say, but the ethnicity correct. I like that. Also, yeah, then after that bit there, we finally, we move on to, uh, John Jones take, taking over the... Gotham City, 1955. Yeah, taking over the, over the role of that scientist, at least for a brief while here. Yes. As he uh, just tries to get to safety. Because, of course, I forgot to mention that scientist was like, the world's not ready for you, you know, don't reveal yourself, because it's a pretty dark time for... <laughs> yeah, I love that speech that he had, of just, like, saying the world is filled with both good and evil. Um, and you're not, and it's not ready for, for you, your kind yet. And that... That really does bring up an idea, though, of why everybody accepted Superman. But that, obviously, is because he does look like a Caucasian male. And, you know, John is way more well, not human-looking. Mm -hmm. But, I don't know, it's weird. He's from Mars, and everybody's obsessed with that. But the fact that Clark came from, you know, light years away, and everybody's okay with it. I just find that fascinating. There's It's a kind of a hypocrisy to that, I'd say. Well, I mean, yeah, that's... He looks like them. He doesn't look like another. And they just give that away for he free. He may have abilities like another, but... But again, had Superman not gone along with the administration and had been acting as a vigilante, maybe the world would view him differently. Oh, probably. He's still it's, their good old boy kind of kind of thing. It is a time of propaganda as well, so the, we don't see it, obviously, but it could be a lot of propaganda going on that's making Superman as, oh yeah, he's just your average Joe. Yep. You know, look up to him like the fireman, or the police officer, or the milkman. Yeah, but then after that we get a brief introduction to the Flash. Very brief. Uh, i just like to also say that I love the fact that Darwin Cook also says this in the liner notes, and I don't want to bring those up too much, because I'd, people can obviously go look at those in the back regularly, but I, I loved all his liner notes that he was talking about, but I love the fact that he gets all his information from a television. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's in there too, we see him, uh... That's how he learns about America and where he is and what humanity is. It is wonderful. I I, I got the little joke about uh, tonight's show will return after this word from Hotspot Soda Pop. You can't get enough Hotspot. And then the next panel down, he's drinking the Soda Pop as as Bugs Bunny. <laughs> it's great. It's wonderful. It's it's I, I I love it. Yeah, do you also like that the Flash is reading an old school Flash comic from the first? Uh, was it? I know they mentioned the name later. I didn't write it down. Was it Jade? Garrick? 
Jay Garrick, yes. Uh, that is the... Yeah. I don't know if that's the Flash... Is it the Flash number one? I don't remember. Yeah, Flash right. Comics, that is number one. Yeah, it's the one where he stops a bullet with his hand. That's like the... That's the opening... Well, that's the, that's the cover art for that, which is pretty cool. Certainly a way to get people to read that, I'd say. <laughs> oh, yeah, here we go. Two things become clear to me. The first is that this is a world where good and evil struggle in all levels of existence. I want to be forced to good. The second thing is that I need to find... Okay, that's, that's where I got that quote from. Fair enough. Police Detective John Jones, I'll be one of the good guys. So yeah, we get the Central City in 1956 where, and by the way, these are all correspondent. Darwin Cook took the uh, care and the attention to detail of keeping everybody's origin the same year they debuted. Probably the, to the T of the month that happens. So it's funny that we have Hal Jordan, or at least later on Green Lantern, debuting in what was it, 1959 three years after The Flash and four years after Martian Manhunter already exists. That's pretty interesting. Hmm. But we also get, you know, the real world politics of, or real world events of Sputnik being released and then the dog as well. I forget the dog's name, but I remember I remember reading that somewhere about how after Sputnik, the Russians shot a dog into space and retrieved it successfully, which is nice. And then we have the big Eisen, uh, you know, Eisenhower returning to a second term and what, and basically saying, yeah, we're basically going to catch up to the Russians because yeah, we, we should do something about that two years later or something like that. Yeah. But then we get, um, we jump past that brief little introduction to the flash and get back to John Jones. And I love this little bit here, the way this other, I think he's like a, uh, private detective. Uh, yeah, maybe. And how how he describes uh, the persona that the alien John Jones is is portraying as this detective, he's just corny as a comic book, and he's all blast and by gosh. Yep. Like I love his kind of uh, took his whole persona from like a detective TV series or something. Yep. Yeah, and then they go on, and then we meet Batman too, fighting this this cult of the center. And I guess this is the second kind of look at the center, and the first time we see that it's more than just that island, although I don't know if you could really, at this point, connect it back to the island. I don't think they quite give that connective tissue, but... Because yeah, the first time I was reading it, I kind of thought that stuff was spread out so sporadically that there wasn't really enough of a connection with the center. This is what I meant. Yeah, this is what I meant. I wish that there was more of a focus here, like we had more scenes of this, and I believe... Again, not to go into the movie, but I believe the movie kind of goes into that a little more. Uh, where they, where, where they're, I, th I think that, because they drop a lot of stuff from the book, and I think focus more on the center itself rather than the interactions of all these characters. Oh, okay. Which is fine. I, I think, I don't remember, because you said you just watched the movie, right? Yeah. Uh, I could be wrong then. I, I thought they, I thought they went into that a little more, but this is what I mean. Like, we have this first scene of Batman kicking all kinds of butt. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It's it's it literally is a scene out of a comic book of Batman just taking on a cult. It's like I want more of this. Like why can't I have this? <laughs> and then yeah, we have they didn't mention why the kid was uh, kidnapped or not kidnapped, but like we know why because it's it's for the blood of I don't even know why. Like the, the center needs blood. Didn't say yeah, I remember I anything about that, but yeah, I don't really remember if this comes back. I thought it was more that this cult was just crazy and they, they thought they'd found some way to satisfy the whatever it is. Well, that's probably but. it. It's probably a cult that believes the center to be their god, but they they don't realize what it really is. 
it's all muffled. And so they think, oh, to satisfy the center and maybe to please him, we'll sacrifice a kid. When that's yeah. really not what the center wants. So it's a very human, um, it's a human-centered idea, not so much what the center wants, objectively. They do talk about how there's all this mass hysteria about the center, especially as the book goes on. Yep. But yeah, I, I kind of wish that some of that stuff was a little bit more clear. But... And that's what I meant by I want more integration uh, and seeing kind of the mass hysteria. I don't want to say like, oh, maybe that's why, maybe that's why people are so against superheroes and why they're all like, there's the Red Scare. Like, it, it would be so easy to label all the 50s, par like real world paranoia and like civil rights and prejudice and discrimination, all that stuff as, oh, it's all the center's doing. But Darwin Cook doesn't do that, which I like. But it still would have been nice to see something more with the center. Unless, again, I need to read it again. But as of this reading, I didn't think it, there was a lot with the center to do. But anyway. Yeah, we'll get more into it as we get to the, the actual center. But So in this scene, we're introduced to, or at least Batman, I should say, is introduced to the uh, weakness of fire for John Jones, which is going to come back in a good way later. Yep, and one thing that does come from this later on is the book and the medallion. Yep, that's all there, yeah. Batman grabs the medallion off the leader guy who's about to stab the kid with the knife, and then John's the one that has the book. I yeah. obviously got something to say about that, but I just love the fact that when Batman's trying to free the kid, doesn't even say anything. I real I, I didn't realize it, but I, he doesn't even say anything, and the kid just is like, no, stay away, stay away. I, I love that. I love the fact that because he's such an urban legend, but the kid probably knows about it as well, and is just like terrified of like what the Batman is, and especially just what happened beforehand in the pre in, in, on page one hundred, where we get like again Batman just going to town, like abusing the no kill rule to its logical extreme. Yeah, but yeah, some of the descriptions of him, he sounds like just a he like he's really on the edge right now. It's the sound of the risk breaking that finally does it. The remaining freaks run blubbering into the shadows. I'm pinned there like a moth on a board, unable to look away. And it's like, yep. good grief. Uh, but so after that scene, we get to the Captain Cold uh, that I was mentioning earlier. And the uh, fight with Wildcat versus uh, Cassius Clay. Yeah, so sorry, chapter 5. We're on chapter 5 now on page 103. Uh, fun City. So for, before, before that scene, yeah, before all that, we get Wildcat versus Cassius Clay. And what did you think of this of this scene right here? Of these next few pages? First off, double page spread on 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 four, 104 and five. Freaking amazing. Yeah, it's, it, that's definitely a nice one. Yep. You have Wildcat Grant, right? I, I don't really yep. know this character, so Theodore I... Wildcat Grant uh, was a JSA member in the day, and he basically was. Uh, I love one of his lines later on, but he was basically again another one of the gimmicky superheroes of the day and they're like i don't know if he's gonna support himself as like you know a solo comic book but it's like no he works in the gsa and it's, it's where he's one of those ground uh level uh, street level characters and yeah. one, one thing he's known for is that he was the one that trained diana laura lance the, the black canary uh into fighting oh okay so that's that's, cool. that's what he's known for but yeah honestly he's again one of the stock Type character types where he's he's the boxer and he's unhinged and he you know likes to slug people um, and that's that's why he's called the Wildcat and he there's an episode of him in Justice League Unlimited uh, which we'll watch at some point I think which sure. is pretty cool but yeah we basically just have you know 
Muhammad Ali against uh, against Wildcat. I think that's pretty cool. I don't know mm-hmm. what other how actual Muhammad Ali fans would think of this. I like that because I am a fan of his. But this is 1959, so it's way. First off, he's called Cassius Clay. This is way before. This is yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, this is 957. Sorry, not 957. Yeah. Um, so this is way before he changed his name from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali. But I do like the fact that he goes up against Clay. I, I, that's what I meant. Like earlier, would the estate of Muhammad Ali take offense at this? Or is he a public figure in that they can use him in this? And they're not really... And I had to also ask, is this like... Dis, is this being... Not making fun of, but is this being dishon- dishonest to uh, Muhammad Ali? I don't think so. It's just using him as... The other thing is I don't want him to be used as... To prove a point or anything like that. But I, I think it works. Yeah, it's just there for a cameo, really. It really is, yeah. And we get... Uh, on panel 109, I didn't have to look this up, but I did kind of, well, I sort of looked at it up. But we see uh, Selena Kyle, Diana Lance, and then to their right, no, their left, excuse me, we see Alan Scott, the Green Lantern, the first Green Lantern. And I think that's uh, Dr. Midnight. I forget his real name, but he's the he's the DC's uh, superhero doctor, at least in the 40s. And I think that's... I, I don't remember who that lady is, but I I can't be Diana's mom, because there's Black Canary one, Diana's Black Canary two, because her mom was the one that was in the is usually in the GSA and then she's in the Justice League, but it, either that or she's one of the other female GSA members. I don't remember that. And below we get, I, I, I assume that both Selena and Diana are like the understudies or they being trained by uh, Ted Grant, which is pretty cool. Then we have below. On uh, panel number two, we have Bruce Wayne, Lois Lane, and Oliver Queen. Not sporting a Van Dyke bu- a mustache, unfortunately, but oh well, it's pretty funny. And we just see that they're, they're together, and then we finally see Ace and Hal Jordan there as well. It's certainly a good way of getting all these characters together uh, into the scene. It's a very prolific uh, boxing match, so of course they're all going to like come together and watch. So I, I kind of like that, of how they did that kind of stuff. Yeah, but then Wildcat uh, wins, and we get a great, uh, another piece, great piece of art on uh, 113. Yep. Well, the rose is coming down. Although I want to point this one out because you know who this character is now. Is um, I once swam two miles with three bullets in my lung. I KO'd the Ultra Humanite in one punch. Mm-hmm. And you recently found out who the Ultra Humanite is. So once you heard that, it's like, oh man, like that pro- that guy is pretty tough. If that is the case. <laughs> yeah, I anyway, suppose yeah. that's fair. So yeah, then we get you know yeah him. Then we move on to the move on to the big party scene here. Everyone's yep. all hanging out, having a nice time. Yep. And old buddy, oh, I guess we we could talk about Iris. She's uh shows up here. Yeah. So first we see on 104 we see Mr. Leader of the Rat Pack himself, Frank Sinatra again. He's singing here at the club. Fly me to the moon, which I yeah I assume had been written by that point. Yeah, and Barry Allen as the living vicariously through Iris, having a chat with her on the phone as she's there at the club. We have, you know, the all the members that we saw in the audience are there talking as well, so we see Hal and Ace talking with two ladies. And then we have this scene, so on 105, 105, 115, this is, this is one I had to bring up, I had to ask you. So we have here a conversation between Hal Jordan, Hal Jordan, sorry, Oliver Queen, Lois Lane, and Bruce Wayne, and she's talking about how 
they're, they're all just talking about, uh, oh, I wish where the JSA members are, because they all retired, right? So I, yep. I hope they would come out and support him, and we uh, support Ted Grant. And they did, and then they ducked out early. That's the, uh, that's the, not excuse, but that's certainly the... Just, yeah, they're, they're like, oh, commenting, like, oh, yeah, those guys were here earlier, then they took off for the, the party started. Yeah, because they're kind of pariahs at this point. Yeah, exactly. But I got a question. Does Lois Lane know Oliver, Queen, and Bruce Wayne's alter egos? Yeah, I get the sense that she does. I think okay. that because of her relationship with Clark, I think they all kind of know each other. But does she know about Superman, though? Does she? Because I, I don't, I don't know if she knows Clark is Superman. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure she does. Okay, fair enough. Because it doesn't, I, 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 I never. That was the one thing that confused me about this book was whether or not she knows she's in on like the whole superhero society. She's in that whole community. I get the sense that, yeah, before the whole, um, maybe even during everything coming out, they all kind of were together. You know, like it was like a regular DC universe, and then it just got, everyone had to go into submission like that. One of the, one of the stories Cook wrote afterhand kind of delves into that a bit, but yeah, it never really gives me an explanation of that, but whatever, yeah, then we meet uh, Colonel Flagg here years later after what happened in 45 and the first introduction of Carol Ferris, who we will certainly have uh, more to say about later. Nothing bad. And then we finally see, you know, Selena walking in the champ, which is nice. And yes, finally we get to Barry Allen, Central City. And I are having a chat and Captain Cold shows up. And so Barry rushes to the scene to try to stop him. Yeah, is Captain Cold uh, typically a Flash villain? Captain Cold is... It's the whole, like, Joker versus Razagul versus Bane debate of who's, like, the Flash uh, arch-villain. And you got your you got your Gorilla Grods, you have your fla- your reverse Flashes, and then you have Leonard Snart, a.k.a. Captain Cold, who is the leader of, literally, the Rogues Gallery. Or, the Rogues, sorry, not the Rogues Gallery, the Rogues. But yeah, this is our first... Re- and <laughs> uh, Darren Cook makes a joke in the liner notes that this is uh he's modeled after grant morrison <laughs> if you know what grant morrison looks like but yeah. I, I see it but i don't think i think it's just unintentionally uh, similar i love his design for iris West, by the way there's a lot of there's his women obviously all look alike and some well, actually i think both sexes look alike but i love the fact that her hair is way more auburn or light brown it certainly makes her stand out from the rest of the brunettes uh in the story Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's it's random and weird. I also love the dress that she's in. It's it's just weird. It's very it's very stand out ish. Pardon me. But yeah, but I'll say for this Flash scene, I never really had any interest in reading the Flash. Yeah, I thought you wouldn't. But this whole sequence here of him, you know, going through, oh, he's got to like vibrate his atoms so that he can just pass through everything. Yep. And all the math that it takes to calculate where he's going to end up when he like slows down and all this stuff. Yep, I thought that stuff was like pretty perfectly executed, and the art too in this scene, like that. That's I've never wanted to read the Flash more than reading this little sequence here. This is a good introduction book to going into some of these characters. Maybe not some of the monsters. I don't know. It depends. You have to pick and choose where to start off, but it certainly is a good introduction for each of these characters. I think. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and I like that Ace and Hal are just like, oh crap, look at this guy here. This is going to be awesome to see. It's a fun little bit there. Quick question, what's Cold trying to steal exactly? 
Um, well, I just figured this is kind of like that classic, like, from one of the Batman movies. He just shows up at a party full of rich people and it's like, fill this bag, fill all your money, pass it all around. I, I get that's what I thought he was doing. Yeah, it doesn't say anything. Let's see. So you darlings just sit tight. All we want is the fight gate, and we already have that. We'll be gone before you know it. Fight gate, fight gate. Isn't that the isn't this the earnings? Yeah, the tally of the the bets. Okay, that's literally all it was. Okay, so I thought they were here to. They didn't even steal any of their. Okay, so they, yeah, they didn't even steal any person's like jewelry or or material wealth. Yeah, just to kill Sinatra and take the the bet money. <laughs> Yeah, we don't even see him anymore. Yeah, and we get a sense that him and the Flash have a previous relationship here, so he sets up this whole little scheme. I planted six bombs around the city, and the Flash rushes around trying to find them all and then realizes that Captain Cold outsmarted him and only actually hit five bombs. We uh, also get a quick character reveal. Not a character reveal, but we get some dialogue about some of the you know players' thoughts. You know, Lois, Batman, not Batman... Lois, Captain Flag, and Wildcat's thoughts on superheroes around here. And it's interesting that she, Lois, is against superheroes right now. Mm -hmm. Unless it's all an act. I, I was wondering about that. Yeah, it could be like that whole thing where you gotta be kind of anti-red during the Red Scare to try to, you yeah. know, keep the attention away from you. Random, but I also love, uh, I also love Selena Kyle's hairdo, if you look at it on, like, 129. It's, I don't know, it just, it screams Cleopatra to me, even though that's, that's kind of dumb. It's like, what do you mean? Just like how Elizabeth Taylor was depicted as Cleopatra in the day. Uh, so do you think the Flash kills Captain Cold here? This is weird, yeah. This is, I made a joke about this when I read it again, but in, like, when, you know, Barry Allen debuted as a Flash, everybody, and throughout the years, everybody's called him White Bread or Milk Toast because he's just, you know, so bland and, and, you probably this is probably not the case in this book he's probably much more he's he seems a little ruthless in this almost but there's a reason why of course because he hurt his wife like captain cold without knowing it like kind of interfered not interfered but was with his wife and not, sorry not with his <laughs> yeah. wife but got his wife away excuse me and so it's very personal for him now he's very emotional right now so i like that there's some naivety in here but i don't know i don't know if he kills outright kills captain cold because I, I love the scene though i love the scene of him like yeah i can't fly yeah and the snow coming down oh yeah and that was and, and i don't know if this is i don't know if you have this in 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 your digital edition in the table of contents right here uh at the beginning of the book we have what looks to be like a an early concept art of the flash in that scene right there like putting his hand out as it's snowing in nevada which is as Cook said, only something you could do in a comic book, and I agree with him, which is amazing. It's it's wonderful. You can't see that anywhere else, and it's it's wonderful. But yeah, I don't know if he kills him or it just malfunctions. And I don't think so because I'll, I'll... no, it the flash the flash did it purposely. Okay, but I don't think he's dead because we'll I'll bring that up later. I'm gonna have to remember that. But he does not later on, I believe. Yeah. So after that scene, we get. A cool little kind of touching base between Ace and uh, Hal here. As they go to Nellis Air Force Base. Yeah, Hal's been feeling a little bit depressed, not quite living the life he should be living or could be living. And so Ace set him up for a job interview with Carol Ferris, as you said. Very, uh, very introspective right now and questioning his morality and if, if Ace feels any remorse for the people he's killed because... Yeah, Hal's still, still pretty fucked up about that, killing that guy in that trench, so... 
Yeah, that, I love that scene. I think that was a great little moment between the two of them, really showing their friendship. I'll probably touch on it again, but it's basically he... I love the line he says later on that is, I don't want to kill for my country. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's at this point yet. It doesn't come until much later, but... Yeah, we get... Uh, this ends on page 142 with Ace Morgan telling him, you know, yeah, you got a job for... Or you have an interview with Carol Ferris... And it transitions to the introduction of the Challengers of the Unknown. Yeah, and I love the, the shot here with the clock and the uh, the jet flying over it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's just an awesome little piece of work there. That's an awesome little piece. And I, I at first thought that the next, like, you know, between 144 and 145, I thought this was immediately after. This is not. This is beforehand. This was, like, a previous date. Um, that's another moment where I thought the editing of the putting together or putting things where they were was a little bit off because yeah it does play that way you assume that this ace's ship going down it's actually an intro because when we get to 148 the timeline is i think a little better but i wish we had like a time another like um a, a year number of some sort yeah tell us when this happened because that that would have certainly helped but then we get to pages 146 and 7, and what a, another good two-page spread. Yeah, but this is another the moment... The detail on this is great. This is another moment where I thought... Or actually, it's the same moment, where I thought the editing was also a little strange here, because we don't know who this character is. We really don't get anything at all. It's just this yep. little dream. He wakes up, he takes off, and then we cut right back to Hal again. Yeah, it's it's a setup, almost. It's a, it's a setup for what we know but i'm pretty sure we get more of the challengers backstory and what who they are as characters in uh chapter six the men who fell to earth um we wake up obviously first off in montreal 1957 uh to a daredevil uh johnny blaze wannabe i'm just kidding i think he's certainly predates johnny blaze but yeah, he's, he's not feeling too well. And then we get, yeah, we go back to Coastal, or Coast, I say Coastal City, sorry. Coast City, California, where we have a uh, very nice discussion between Carol and uh, Hal Jordan. Go ahead. Yeah, for only three pages, and then we cut back. So that, that's why it's like, maybe you should have moved those three pages until after. A little bit of stuff with... Uh... Yeah. But yeah, this, this is a nice little scene, little setup of their uh, kind of blossoming, or I guess just budding at this point relationship that they're going to have throughout the book. As the interview goes very well, he gets the job and also gets a potential girlfriend. So Look, Hal, <laughs> don't get your hopes up. I don't make it a habit to get involved with my employees. And I certainly don't spend my nights drinking. That's a prudent and admirable position, Carol. Fortunately, I don't start work for two more weeks. Two glasses. Yeah, and I'll just say I don't love the I don't love this scene in the movie, but I love this scene here. The just the art, the the light or the color choices, I, I think it's a lovely little oh, piece yeah. of work there. The shadow, the, the the lighting, I did not realize how much lighting made. Like, after all these years of reading comics, I finally understand how lighting is done, and oh boy, this is great. This is this is wonderful. Yeah, some perfect shading work. Just just so great. Yeah. And really conscious of where light's coming from. Like, you look at Yes, the... that's the other thing. I also like the fact that Darwin himself draws the lights. It honestly helps the lighting person... Uh, when it comes to where to put the shading. Because yep. once you know where that candle is, you can either do real-world references of, okay, well, here's me and the other person, and here's the candles, so where's the... And here's the third person going to take a photo of us and where the lights get... It's it's so intricate. Lighting is such a is such a task. It really 
can make or break a movie sometimes, eh? Yeah, or, or a book. So, you know, sometimes the light can be coming from any... But I guess we should jump back to the, yeah, uh, no. the Rex, Rex Sorry Tyler. Sorry for gushing, but... And it, but th- the thing is that we're, we're calling this out because I love how simplistic um, uh, Darwin Cook draws. You mean like... Uh, well, I guess we'll talk more about that when we get to like the big climax, because I think there's yeah, some really fair. intricate stuff there. Oh, yeah, but like just how simplistic his characters are, and they're not as you know, nitty and gritty as nowadays characters are, eh? Oh, I guess it depends on the, the book. But <laughs> this is fair, of course. But yeah, sorry, go, continuing right, on. Back to that. <laughs> oh, but yeah, we, we uh, meet up with, um, yeah, is it Rex Tyler, are you saying? It's uh, Red Ryan, I believe, not Rex Tyler. Oh, yeah, Rex, yeah Rex Tyler's, yeah. And here we oh, introduced yeah. him that he rhymes. He's, uh, he's a rhymer, which is kind of nice. But basically, we were in Colorado, and we... The scene we saw earlier is of their crash, of what happens. And again, I wish we... I don't know if they say the fraternity of Flight 772. I don't know if that was a real... That was, again, this is all based off of real comics that occurred back in the day. So, or yeah, storylines that had happened. So, I don't know if this was like five years ago. I like the little bit of uh, Red Ryan himself who's saying that you know, his, his little watch that his dad got, it's kind of phony or it's, it's pretty cheap. It stopped, it never was working. And then all of a sudden during the crash, it, it started working and it's like his good luck charm. That's, it's, that's pretty interesting. It's, it's certainly a, it's a memento and a reminder of how careful he has to be and how close to death he comes uh, often in his daredevil stunts, eh? Yeah. D- does that ever come back in the book? Do you remember? Time. Time is certainly a... I don't know if time... I was going to say, is time a big factor in this book? Not really, except for when... Um, except for when Hal is called Timex... Or Timex later, excuse me. But not really. I, I think it just talks about his character and, again, is a good way of showing his who his character is since we get a little more of him later on in the book. Yeah, he also has this little bit here where he says, why did the four of us survive this? Like, it should have been impossible. Yeah. I feel like that's never really brought back either. That's probably, yeah, in, in Dar- Darwin's head, it probably made sense, and I don't know if he translated it perfectly into uh, this. I believe the Challengers aren't even in the movie, or at least they're in the background of the movie. Oh, yeah, I don't remember. I don't really remember what, what they say about um, him. They, they do play a part in this. Or them. Uh, but then we get an extremely brief introduction to the setup. Steeler. Yeah, a setup, yeah, I guess, for, for John Henry here. John Wilson. Yeah, John Wilson. Apropos of the month we're reviewing this being Black History Month. Yeah, two two pages of him basically waking up and there's a burning cross on his, uh, I guess they hung him, but his rope snapped, I suppose. Yep. And he should have been dead and his, his family's dead, but he survived and goes to find a purpose, really, is where we leave it. <sighs> More to come. More to come on that, but... Oh, I can. I even love the little shot. I just realized now, looking at it, I love the shot of, like, right in his eyes, we see the burning cross. Yeah, yeah, that's a great little shot. But that's symbolism right there. New York City, page one hundred forty-nine. So I, I guess it's Suicide Squad. Yeah, I was. I was just trying to figure out who are these guys again. <laughs> uh, this is uh, either Task Force X or Suicide Squad. Is that Flag? And maybe this is Ar- Argent. Uh, no, because Faraday is in charge of Tar- Argent, and Suicide Squad is, um, 
is, is flagged. Give me a second. Mm. Hang on a second. Here we go. No. Yeah, some of those things do get a little confusing because there's so many different uh, moving parts in this book. Yeah, so this is the Suicide Squad. Sure. After, so in in the yeah in the forties it's Task Force X. Nowadays it's the Suicide Squad, or at least in this it is. And this is a re, this was based off of uh, another. Uh, I think it was the Suicide Squad. But it was based off another book that occurred in the fifties where they went up against. Um, they went up against a dinosaur-looking being because there was always those. I don't want to say stock, but with the fifties was not the best time for superhero comics. We should probably remember that, is that it wasn't the best time for superhero comics. It wasn't until the debut of, like, The Flash and uh, and Martian Manhunter and Hal Jordan that things started to uh, come about a little more, and then eventually Marvel did their thing, and Marvel superheroes barely existed in this time. So it focused a lot more on human-centric characters... Uh, less empowered beings and more just like adventure stories of them taking on creatures of the unknown. And I like that, you know, they're fighting this this, this dinosaur-looking pterodactyl creature, and it's based off of a book that did happen apparently, like a cover that uh, was done in the fifties, and it's all tied together. I I, I just like that like meta building or world building. And we see the four here, and we're about to lose one of them, and we don't get much of uh, what's his name. Of Evans' character, Chris, Chris Evans' character here, but I like the yeah they basically had to defeat this paradoxical-looking thing that was seen in the Eastern Seaboard, and we'll be seeing more of that a little later. And it's a good way to circle back to the center and remind us that there is a central threat that we're looking at here because it's so yep. easy to get derailed from that with so many different things going on. It's not the panda or paranoia that I wanted, but it certainly is reminding us that there is an actual like tangible threat. Like, the, there are attacks that are happening from these scouts, basically. Yeah, and luckily Flag was there to tell everyone that, hey, I've already seen something like this before, and it was back on the island, so yeah. they're going to head over there Also, soon. I like the fact that it was uh, it was Evans who was narrating the whole time in the narration boxes. Yeah. Yeah, finally cut back to Steel and get more of a better look at him. Or I guess I uh, keep saying Steel, but <laughs> John Henry. <laughs> we do see Steel in this book, but that's way late. That's at the very end. Mm-hmm. Um, but we get, yeah, we get the, the, the poem, John Henry, the Steel Driving Man, which was a poem. I didn't look this up, but, like, it was a poem, as according to Darwin Cook in the liner notes. Hmm. I think he played with a few of the words a bit. Like, he, he, he modified it slightly, which, I mean, fair enough to get this book. But the, 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 the basic premise remains the same of John Henry was this, I guess, working on the railroad in the day. And... And a very honest man, salt of the earth, a hard-working man, and in comes this, you know, s smart man with the machine and is like, I can replace you. So even back in the day, the whole, like, machines replacing man was inevitable. Oh yeah, big time. That was the whole uh, Luddite movement. For pit's sakes, yeah. No, for, <laughs> I haven't gotten enough of those yet. But yeah, we basically have that, and he's like, when I die, if I die, I'm gonna die knowing that I outlived or outdone a machine, which is nice. And we basically have his, like, origin. Unfortunately, again, we only really get two pages of him here, so... Yep, and then we see the, uh, again, the Challengers of the Unknown. And, yes, the Challengers of the Unknown, and they team up with the Suicide Squad, or vice versa, and they go back to the island. And it's not looking so good these days. A lot of the population seems a little bit slimmed down. Yeah. And uh, they find a little last message that John Cloud left for him. 
Yep, it's a it is a living thing. Yeah, and then an old beastie shows up to uh, fuck them up again <laughs> to say hello. And we also get a, um, a a quick confirmation. We didn't really slight sport not spoilers, but going not to get ahead of myself. But uh, Grace here, she is empathetic. Like she has the power of empathy. Mm -hmm. But we don't really get a lot of that in this in this book, which is interesting. Really, really she's she's not she's a side character, of course, but she didn't get a lot of focus in this book. So it was interesting that we had that there. But I guess it was to keep true to the uh, character back in the day. Yeah, and I, I assume some of that uh, in a couple times this book where I'm like, I, I'm this didn't really come back, but I'm assuming that was just to kind of honor the the past in that way. So I also want to think that in this in this scene before we keep going that this is confirmation that the the center knows the humans come back to them and I think that's when the attacks start coming becoming a little more rampant and that the center will make his move or its move excuse me against humanity I think this is like the starting off point as well yeah and I was going to ask about it deteriorating here is it deteriorating because of the escalating nuclear threat uh what do you mean by like the, the earthquake that happens here no, no, because uh, it's like um, it's almost like the center at this point. Because we see the creatures have kind of like they start to expand into the island, and on the island themselves, they're like as you can see with this dinosaur creature here at page one hundred and seventy. Yep, it's almost looking like it can't hold its shape anymore, like it's become like something else. So, is the reason the center's like becoming so pissed off is because the kind of uh, standing on the precipice there with the United States and Russia and their nuclear conflict that's escalating at this point is it like becoming more infuriated by humanity and that's why it's kind of branching out more because again i i kept being confused by what it what exactly the was going on with this center stuff um well ultimately the center and not to get ahead of myself the center wants to get off the planet it wants to leave it wants to be away from it wants to get away from humanity it hates humanity so much that it wants to leave uh, our planet behind and there's a reason why it attacks but also destroy them on the way out <laughs> that's sort of it's i i found out the reason at the very end of the book um and we'll get to that but yeah it's it's most it wants to go home not even home it wants to get off the planet and it probably is because i forget, it might be because of that but i don't remember it's stating through other characters escalation between the united states and america for that reason but Maybe. Right now, I think it's burying the evidence. Uh, it's aware of the humans, and it probably is aware that the message was written, of course, why it didn't just do that beforehand is another reason. Like, why it just didn't cave in that cave is, an, is a whole other reason, but whatever. We now know that it's alive, and that the creatures are all linked to it, and that we now have a threat. But moving on, we get our introduction of Hal going... Uh, arriving at Ferris Airways. Uh, and then two months later, in page 174, uh, him... Go, oh, I guess beforehand we meet... We, we jump cut, honestly, funny, funny enough, from that, from Rick Flagg going to um, Monster Island to then Ferris Airways meeting Hal Jordan. I kind of found that interesting. I don't know why. It was just a interesting jump jump cut Yeah. to that. And we get their, our introduction between the two and how they basically will hate each other. <laughs> until the end if you keep reading uh but then we, yeah, we get basically get uh not a montage but we get a letter uh of his of jordan uh talking to his brother jim and how everything's been going 
and the situation that's going on and yeah, basically that he something big is about to happen at Ferris Airways and he's like hoping he'll be a part of it and all his training will lead to something and uh, ladies and gentlemen Timex Jordan and that's uh, you know the, the Colonel Flag calls us. that's where the other like watch related thing I think comes from I guess yeah that's fair yeah yeah just get way more back and forth bickering between the two and how I think he said that's not that was that was Faraday but just how uh, Flag just doesn't find him not compromised but yeah finds him compromised and not willing to go far enough or not that he's a bit suicidal from what he did to himself I kind of like that again and then we on 7179 we get a little card game that's going on between some of the troops around the base and we get Flag's story of or not even Flag but a lot of the uh, uh, sorry uh, Suicide Squad and what's going on I thought it was mainly about Karen. Yeah, Karen, and then we get Evans and Bright as well, having a similar, like, Hulk. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, origin, almost. <laughs> I don't know if they have powers. I don't think it's implied that they have powers, but something certainly happened. Let's put it that way. And they, they say Flag has buried more men than anyone but Stalin, which... Yeah, damn. Yeah, I don't know if they, I don't know if they mean Stalin himself burying all those people, like, killing all those people, or, like... By Stalin's orders, he has that kill count, which I I have no idea, but they basically say, like, you have to have this mentality to be in charge of the Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. And we go, any any thoughts on that, on those segments, excuse me? No, not really. Not really. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really feel like those characters are very consequential, so just kind of, you know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, fair enough. I thought I thought they were. I, I found it interesting again to look at. It was another side of DC that I was uh, interested in looking at, and I'm glad yeah, that that's made it on there. But is it related to the story? It's giving us characters. I'll say that it's it's certainly like exploring the characters more often. Yeah. But yeah, fair enough. Moving on, uh, we were back in Tennessee, in 182, and we see the dummies we see the absolute triangle pyramid head wearing uh white cloaked idiots as is said later uh, a band of terrorists and warlords yes there we go yes terrorists and warlords there we go and we see a black hooded figure come at them with a hammer a steel He's hammer bringing the hammer down and page 184 i want that on the wall i want that post i'm not ripping my <laughs> not ripping my page out of a book but oh man i want that on a wall yeah this is another bit that i i love here after the, the little steel bit there yep chapter seven yeah i love the fact that john jones goes and uses his telepathic abilities to connect with audiences in a movie theater i just love that what that says about theaters nowadays is somebody can analyze that whole thing but certainly sir you're absolutely correct on that part front yeah the more i've always had a, a real thing for martian manhunter but the more I'm exposed to him, the more I just love this character. Like, yeah, no, this is a this is an honest character that I want to. I would love to write on if I could be at DC as a writer. But anyway, yeah. So we, he's going to uh, he's going to the theater. He's been waiting for this all week, and going to see Invasion from Mars. I don't know if that was an actual like real life movie. I kind of assume it was. Yeah, I'm not sure I've ever seen there it. There has but... to be something that was that. By the way, I don't know if 
this is weird, but if you look at panel three on bottom of uh, eight, uh, 185, the crowd themselves look a little weird. I don't know if it's Cook who did this scene. I think he says it in the liner notes, but I don't think this was him that drew all these background characters. But I certainly... There's one thing about me that I like. I always love it that when somebody can draw background characters distinctly and they're not like stock characters it's always wonderful when you have a diverse looking cast of background characters and they're not all the same and this is one of those and i, I love that mm. just sorry a small little thing but go ahead oh yeah we uh, see it uh top of 186 the mr fleischer superman himself um yeah and i like that we get a little bit of a look at the invaders uh or not the <laughs> challengers of the unknown invaders. yep <laughs> and i like his little bit of uh he thinks the movie's a comedy, and he laughs, and everyone else is all pissed yeah. off. Yeah, that's that's pretty funny. Before then, though, and uh, we get a somewhat two-page spread at 188 and 189 of the Challengers fighting what looks to be like a giant octopus being. That is also a monster from uh, from the center. Oh, that thing is? That is, yep. It's weird that the movie that he's watching has the same villain. Yeah, that's interesting that it looks like the same. I wonder if that was intentional or not. But, or if they just saw this recent footage from South America and they were like, hey, this looks, this octopus looking thing is similar to the Martian and uh, the movie we're showing, so maybe go, let's do it. That's funny. See, I, I took this completely differently. I thought this little uh, challenging the unknown video was more like a little propaganda reel and that they were just fighting like the same prop that they were using in that movie. No, that's <laughs> supposed to be a legit. Well, first off, it's also based off of a real. Not real, but it was based off of a cover in Challengers of the Unknown book back in the 50s. But this was, I believe Darwin said, this was another monster that they fought, hmm. uh, which was interesting. I was like, hey, that's kind of a good continuity right there. Oh, okay. Um, kind of inspires John that he's like, oh, I kind of want to go from being a cop to being one of these like action heroes, almost interestingly enough. But yeah, hmm. I love, again, not... I want to say I love, but uh, it is fascinating that nobody but Darwin Cook thought of. It's, it's when you start thinking about the world a little more. It's like we have a Martian. He's in the 50s, and he's going to see a movie about Martians. <clears throat> like, I would love, I wonder if, I don't remember if he said in the liner notes, but it'd be interesting to know what um, he would, th it, what John would think of if he read War of the Worlds and then watched the movie uh, later on the similar year. Not similar year, but later on around the same time. And just be like, that's not what Martians are. His <laughs> last, but yeah, it's it, that's pretty funny. And then we, so he, then he goes back to his uh, his apartment, and who do we see but the Batman himself? Yeah, and he's got the medallion. And he's basically threatening him, come to work for me, or else I'm gonna fuck you up with some fire. I don't think he says that necessarily. He just says, "Listen, I've seen what you are. I don't know you're not from this world." I don't know where you're from, but I know that you have, you know, I noticed back at the church that you had this distinction of being wanting to get away from fire. And so that's probably a weakness uh, of yours. I don't know. He, he says, come to work for me. This is not a request. Where is that? I don't, it's on uh, page 193. Um, it's the bottom panel. It says, What's, whatever's going on is beyond normal. My research leads me to believe you are ideally suited to pursue this investigation. This is not a request. It's not so much, yeah, I, I don't know if it's like working for him, but working on the case for him as it not being an option, so. And then he immediately threatens him about the fire. <laughs> it's a, and this is, yeah, many people have quoted this, but, and it's, 
I, I kind of remember it from the movie as well. I don't know how the actor does with it, if you remember that part, but I, again, I'll just say it. It took a $70,000 sliver of meteor to stop the one in Metropolis. With you, all I need is a penny for a book of matches. I don't know what a penny is nowadays, but I assume that it was probably a piece of money that was easy to come by back in the day. Yeah, and I guess we should just say, me and you have always had a bit of a difference in opinion when it comes to our takes on Batman. Yeah, go ahead. Because I always saw him as right on that edge of, you know, he, if he had a little bit of a different upbringing, he could have been a villain, you know? Oh, yeah. In his whole, I think he's pretty insane too in a lot of ways and just this whole no no kill rule i think doesn't make any sense either that's one of the things that i think shows that he's kind of insane and so i think i don't know would he kill an alien is that really i don't know i don't think so again it's the no no kill rule to a logical extreme of it's for the greater good i think in his kind of not to paraphrase john later on but it's if, if John kind of read his mind somehow, but he can't because, as he says, it's like, cut the pretense. Cut the pretense. Don't you mean, why didn't I sense your presence? Why can't I read my mind? That's my secret. And tonight, I'm here to talk about yours. Um, yeah, he basically bullies him into, into a corner and threatens him. Do the job or else. It's all about the greater good. Batman is, at this point, seeing the bigger picture this is not batman trying to save well i mean batman trying to save gotham is in the background but this is batman trying to solve this case and he yes he's using force and or using leverage and blackmailing or bribe not bribery blackmailing manhunter to do this with him but i assume manhunter was gonna do it anyways but this was just a little more of a push that he needed but as i get older you're your take on Batman is becoming a lot more, yeah, that's the, that's the, not my take, but I certainly agree with that take as well, that depending on the writer, Batman is certainly insane, which a lot of, I think Cap and Eric have said they always are apprehensive, they don't want him to be insane, but I like a Batman that knows he's insane and he's trying to, like, not, not become, not not become like his, his villains he fights. Yeah, I think he always has to, because he's always right he's always right on the line you know yep so he's got to be able to recognize any I, I could easily fall off this if i'm not careful but so i always enjoy that but yeah, that, that is certainly another part of psychology <laughs> batman that we enjoy and how complex some character is washington dc oh actually i'll just <laughs> before we quickly move on yeah of course go ahead i like how uh john's so terrified and then immediately when Batman leaves, he, he can't even keep up his facade yep. of being a person anymore. He just has to kind of collapse. That's really good. Yeah. Batman's a scary dude, man. <laughs> yep. Like, the fact that you can get away with this in the day, I don't know how, nowadays how you could, but the fact that he scared the Martian out of him almost, just like, yeah, take him seriously. Yep. And now, the White House. Yeah, old Tricky Dick's there in the background to, uh... Um... Eisenhower's. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, is the guy who's speaking? Who is? Is that? Is that Eisenhower? Actually, you know, I don't. I don't know if that is. I think that's just like the. I'm not sure who that is. She says I'm yeah. honored commander. So yeah, I'm not. I can't remember. I'm gonna see something. Take over from like not take over, but like. I'm gonna look at the liner notes. I don't. I know I didn't want to, but I know <laughs> he said something about that. 
Come on, where are you, son of a gun? Let's see, 159. Yeah, but it's whoever this general is is giving uh, Diana this big commendation. Oh, you did such a great job overseas for us. Uh, here you go, here's a medal. But the minute she opens her mouth to tell people what she learned overseas, old Nixon steps in and shoes her aside, and that's this is kind of her retiring from there. Uh, I don't know what you'd call what they're using her and Superman for, but she's become too questioning and too not standing by the party line, and so they gotta she's gotta go back to her island and state of their affairs. Yeah. So she calls him general on panel one of ninety uh, hundred ninety five. No, no, no hundred ninety seven. Excuse me. I I couldn't find anything. Didn't say say anything. Yeah, I don't know if it really matters, but and we get a we get a glance actually we get a we get a dirty face of of the general in like panel two of one hundred ninety six. I thought this was Steve Trevor. <laughs> I legit thought this was Steve Trevor. I was like, this can't be Trevor, can it? Like I I I was shocked if this was because it's like oh wow, especially when he says. Uh, lovely seeing you. Remember what they say, old soldiers never die, they just fade away. And I'm like, was this Trevor? I mean, how old was he? Because it's, I don't know if they're doing the whole, like, I'm an immortal, so all my friends age uh, well past me. I, I don't know, but I was like, oh, geez, are we going there? And we, do, we obviously, it's like a, it's this one page that we talk about, I never brought, brings this <laughs> up again, but I, I was just like, oh, are we yeah, talking really. about that? <laughs> But I love how I, I don't know why I just love the design of Wonder Woman in these in these scenes here. We also transition. It's funny enough we transition from her wearing her skirt, her battle skirt, to her her shorts now. I don't know if you realize that, but like in when we first mm -hmm. introduced to her in Vietnam, she's wearing her um, her battle skirt, which I really love. I always love that design. I'm glad they kind of brought that in with the rebirth and. Gal Gadot's uh, stuff has that her costume has that a little bit but I love the fact that we transitioned from her in that to her shorts here I don't know yeah. how much her costume has changed I think her tiara also is a little different looking let me take a look again um, yeah she's she's my second favorite uh, design after um, the Martian Manhunter one yeah in his Martian form yeah no, it doesn't look like her tiaras change much, but yeah, I just love her faces that she gets here, and then yeah, Mister, and and even Superman looks away. Like when Nixon interrupts her, he just looks away. He's like, nope, can't I can't see this. Yeah, that's important. They put that in there. Yep, purposely uh, shielding himself from this. I now you said something about her going back to the island, right? Yep. Did you say they sent her back to the island? No, they just they're just sending her away. No, just like yeah, we we don't want you here anymore. Uh, you, you you're you're getting a little bit. It's time to just go take a break and kind of get away from this stuff. Uh, that's not what I read. That's not what I remember. What I just read today. Uh, we'll get to it maybe, but I don't think that's what happens. He he says it right here on uh, page ninety-seven at the top panel. Diana, I think you deserve a vacation, some time to relax and enjoy yourself. Well, I think that's... Okay, fair enough, but uh, we'll argue with that one when we get to the scene I'm talking about. Hopefully I still remember all that I'm talking about, but... Yeah, it's like I need to write this stuff down. But I know the one you're talking... I know exactly where we go. But continuing on to uh, 198, we're with Carol Ferris and Hal Jordan, and this is where we are first introduced to uh, Faraday King. 
or King Faraday, excuse me, not King Faraday King. Uh, we get a good panel, we get like a good single issue, uh, page panel on uh, 199 of Carol introducing uh, how to the facility, the secret rocket facility, and it's wonderful. And to, uh, to page 200, 201, great, other, another great splash panel, or uh, yeah, two page spread, excuse me. And there's a, I really like the little like choice of timing and our editing here. We see in the top corner on page yep. 200, we see them on the on the elevator coming down and then we see them again in the same pan not even like the same pa I, I don't know why i love that yeah i thought that was a cool choice too it shouldn't work but it does i i don't know what they did but i i like it a lot and good attention to detail to some of those rockets as well go ahead yeah it's just not something you see too often just the kind of that kind of motion in a, a full spread like that again yeah good good layouts uh darwin cook did with this uh, i i really love that choice and get a little more dialogue between Carol and how about, you know, Faraday, Faraday uh, Flag and him not agreeing with each other. Again, this all comes back later on. Yeah, but King's the uh, the real asshole here. Well, one, one quick thing, 267 project days remaining. But yes, King Faraday. Oh yes, yeah. himself. He is a, just quickly, he is a original character to this book. He's oh, not okay. a pre-existing character in DC. Uh, Crook had him penned in this book and said, this is where is like, this is in, I think this is his only like book he's ever in, but hmm. oh boy, what a, yeah, he's great. Yeah, but he's the hard ass. Yeah, no, many words to be said about like him and Flag that I could use, but yeah, he's certainly uh, a guy. He is certainly that guy. Yeah, and I like how he's knocking Hal down a couple pegs. He even throws in, I think you're a little pink. Yes, that's what I was trying to... I was going to say that with Flag saying that, but I was like, nope, he's a little pink. I was like, god dang, that's that's insane. Yep. It's a question that is even really... Uh, <laughs> like, the guy's, a, the guy's a little bit of a prick. But. Yeah, and we... And it quite makes me question with... Uh, when, 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 you know, Martian Manhunter meets him. Sorry, John Jones, excuse me, meets him later on. It's interesting there... I don't know what you have to say about that. But anyway, then we get to 204 and 205, and we get a big info dump Yep. Um, on basically what's going on. And there we go. So it is the Suicide Squad. So This is the uh, scene that Walt Simonson uh, wrote because he loves to just jam the pages full of writing like this. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> That's true. Uh, what did you think of this page, sir? No, I, I liked it. it. It was a nice little summation of the times with the space race kind of thing. So yep. it's good to throw that in there. I think on one side, it's actually funny. On one side, we get pretty much, I think, all the real world stuff. So on 204 is all the real world stuff. And then 205 is all the fictitious comic book stuff. Yeah, that's funny. Yep. So there you go. It was like um, covert espionage unit comprised of special ops men, OSS commander, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we have like there uh, on the second panel. On 205, Argent and Suicide Squad. Yep, in the Discovery, finding out that uh, they know about Martian Manhunter, or John Jones. But. Yep. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Oh, I forgot to mention that, I think at the beginning they said the... You, you earlier mentioned about like what Superman and Wonder Woman are. They're federal agents, technically. Yeah, but they're kind of like... Um, I don't know how to describe what their position is. Yeah, I don't know if they're civil servants at all. Well, they don't answer to anybody but this very small little group that they're, like, yeah. the tools of, so... Well, it's still the U.S. government, but I see your point. Yeah, they're, like, these weapons more than... 
lap dogs, basically, in the stalemate. But basically, what we're we're getting at is because of because of Marsh or uh, John Jones landing on Earth, it started this whole almost not space race out there. There's the real world space race, but then there's this big discovery that we're going to Mars, as Flag said. Yep. And that's very interesting. Also, I love the fact that in page one or two hundred six, excuse me, we have the operation name is Flying Cloud. Yeah, I love that too. Yeah, that's wonderful. <laughs> I, that's that's uh, that's a good callback. That's that's good payoff right there. Yeah, but after that, we jump back to Gotham as we see um, old John Jones playing around with that book. They had to go track down in the evidence locker and also playing with the medallion that Batman gave him. And then we get this really pretty. I love the art for this. The story of that prince whose name i i can't remember Did they even say the name i don't think they do i thought they said the name the first time around i didn't see it the second time around but yeah maybe maybe it's in that one section where we see like the the pages i think i don't know but i gotta i gotta it just as a young viking prince yeah Par- pardon me for saying that i have to question though we, we have john you know, he found the he, he put it away, and then like there was other cases that came up, and then he forgot about this. That's that's fine. He has intangibility, and he even specifically states it at the end of the book that he has intangibility. How come he couldn't just like open the book up somehow with his uh, intangibility powers, or somehow, or his telekinesis? It's a good question. Uh, other than that, that's that's my only like <laughs> little gripe there. But whatever, he uses the medallion Batman gave him, and we get yeah, this play this really yeah wonderful. Like two pages of, of really good drawings of this Viking, uh, and <laughs> what is it? For some reason, it mentions going to another place called Valhalla. Yeah, but I, I this is another bit where I didn't quite get the relevance of this little story. Okay. Now maybe I missed because I haven't, I didn't go back and reread that last uh, about a hundred pages, I think. Yep. So I can't remember if this Viking prince bit comes back at the end. You can. Uh, Point out if it does it it doesn't but it's basically confirming that the center has been here for eons or millennia excuse me the center has existed throughout oh. human is as much a part of earth history as humans are yeah but the vikings don't stretch back that far no but it just it it, it well yeah they, they certainly don't but it still assures us that other cultures have encountered this being before well, but after that little bit there, uh, Sean Jones touches a, a picture of the center and gets a little bit of a brain zap, gets all freaked out. I love that. I <laughs> like the fact that even though it's just a picture of the center itself, it's uh, it, its presence is still like inside the book. It's it's I, I like that. Yeah, and then we jump over back to Central City to the Flash, um, Gorilla Garad. 1958. Gorilla Garad's back in town, causing some problems, and the Flash rushes off to uh, fix the fix the situation. But it turns out that he was just a big old trap by King Faraday, motherfucker. Uh. <laughs> yeah. What did you think of of the of Grodd's design? <laughs> I thought it was pretty silly. It definitely looks like he was just like a stuffed gorilla Grodd. Yeah, that's pretty much what it was. <laughs> Filled with some sort of either bomb or what would you call it? Either bomb or paralyzing nervous system agent. Yeah, some sort of yeah, something like that. He grabbed onto it and like exploded or something on him and i love that panel on uh 214 it's yep yeah, it's again another swirling of colors and they try to nab him i remember this scene is is i remember this scene specifically in the 
in the movie, which is nice. Yeah, it's scary. King standing over there above him with that beautiful kind of pink image. He's got the gun pointed at him. Yeah, with the gas grenades. Yeah, and then Flash just vibrates into uh, vibrates right through the thing and takes off. Yeah, right through the concrete and somewhere else. But here's what I love is you're about to become government property, Swifty. We've got a nice cell picked out for you beside Rex Tyler. Think on that for a second. Of oh. like, Re Rex Tyler's dead. Does this mean that... And he had yeah, a funeral. He's not. Does this mean that... No, he's not... No, he's, he's dead. But does this mean that after the funeral, did Faraday dig up his remains and have him now in a cell? That's mucked up, man. That's like... That's completely... I thought they were saying that they told the press that he died, but he really didn't. I, for, no, I'm pretty sure he's dead. Uh, yeah, I guess we'll see if we see him again here, but I don't remember. I think that, no, there's confirmation of him being dead, sort of. We'll, we'll, we'll get to it. I'll show you later on. Sure. I promise, guys. I, I, know, I'm, <laughs> I know I keep saying, like, later on, but, like, th this book <laughs> explains everything. This next scene, though, we're Coast City, 1959, so a year later. This scene, I could probably see you being a little, like... Uh, why did we need the scenes doesn't need to be here it's a little more growing of the relationship between Hal Jordan and Carol Ferris I find go ahead yeah and that that all stuff is great while you're reading it but it's not really stuff we need to cover we can just kind of skip past bits like that so there's not really much added yeah if this wasn't in the movie I don't think people would uh care I don't know if care but uh I certainly it introduces the new um uh the new challenger yeah the newest challenger June Robbins I think is a little older. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, after that tiny little bit there, we cut back over to uh, the real story with Martian Manhunter, and he's all... He's got his little wall built around... Um, or at least it kind of looks like he's built a part of his wall around um, John Henry at this point. It's kind of like a little hero of his, and somebody he's kind of modeling himself after in, to some way, or at least wants to model himself after. Uh, my interest in subjects like racism and UFO sightings has made me something of an eccentric to my fellow officers. Uh, they kid me quite a bit, but I become the precinct's resident expert in craziness. Yeah, this is basically his whole board of he's it's the X Files, um, create nutcase agent guy of just like yeah, obviously something means something and all this stuff. His wall of weird to quote uh, Smallville season one. KKK attacked, yeah, exactly. Uh, I like that the modern-day John Henry was written by Vicki Vale. Her only appearance in Oh, this, I didn't actually. notice that. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that's why you go back to it. I don't know if it's the first time, too, which is nice. Again, so many news reporters. See? All those news reporters I mentioned, like, you know, in some of the other commentaries are finally coming back. They're all in this book, which is nice. I think. Yeah, and then we meet old buddy here, a little scientist who's uh, gone off to... Uh escape from the base and trying to tell the world about what he's seen. Well, we also see quickly, uh, right before we see him, is uh, Harvey Bullock. I don't know if you caught that or not, because we see a guy named Harvey, but yeah, that's Harvey Bullock, the uh, police detective that always has a it out for the Batman. I was going to make a funny Bullock reference when we get to the movie, but well, I guess we'll I'll save that. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. But yeah, we meet, um, oh, what was his name here? Not Jimmy, what am I talking about? The, the, the scientist, I, I don't really know if that matters, but yeah, he's some some scientist, you know, he's basically spreading spreading the news of what's going on in the uh, Ferris Air Force Base. Harry Leiter, that's his name. Harry Leiter, was it? No, it's Leiter, never mind. Okay. Leiter. Leiter, sorry, yeah, Leiter. Uh, but anyway, Leiter. Yeah, sorry. That matters. Yeah, it's I, I wonder, 
this just kind of confirmed this this is what why is this scene here it's important because we get um no it's an important scene yeah because king faraday comes in and gets him back all like yeah no you're important to the cause don't take me please and yeah this is where john finds out that they know about him yep no no they don't know about him well that they know that he that he's there but they don't know yeah. that he's the martian yeah. but that faraday is standing right in front of the martian that's that's fair you're right um I kind of wish we had a setup of maybe like a line or two beforehand, like, oh, our scientist has gone missing. Uh, I don't think we need it. And then we get the here. It probably doesn't matter. Are we, uh, I'm asking too much. And then, like, what happens to him afterwards? I think he's, I don't know if he ends up in a prison cell at uh, the section 13, was it? Not 13. Or section killed. Nine, I don't remember. Yeah, or killed, whatever happens. Like, he probably is dead and whatnot. And then we see uh, Commissioner Gordon right there, not with a big mustache. But, you know, small little, uh, small little 1950 stash right there, which is uh, just a nice little cameo there. And yeah, we got yeah. Basically, this is where, uh, yeah, they learned or not learned that John learns that they're going to Mars. That there's a mission to Mars. Yeah. After that, we cut back to Operation Flying Cloud in the training stage. Hal's making a little bit of an ass of himself, just kind of uh, not taking the whole thing seriously, and so he gets booted from the mission. Although we, we later find out that actually wasn't the reason he got the boot, but nope. we'll get to that later. Be later. Uh, I found this, this is a little weird. I found this, when I'm when looking at 229 and 230, I found the layout of the room itself a little weird. Maybe not weird, but I was like flipping back and forth being like, um, I don't know if all this works. I don't know if the space is working out here. I don't know, I, that was just me, but we see a little rift between Carol and, and Hal here. Sorry if I keep bringing up their relationship, but the relationship is a big part of this book, so... It especially would be, like, tragic if, like, when you find out that she becomes Star Sapphire and how much these two actually love each other, which is nice. No, but then, yeah, we get some more uh, John Henry stuff here with... And here comes my worst moment, basically. <laughs> the, the KKK is basically going through the town looking for him. Yep. And... He's been doing this for three months. Yeah, he's pretty beaten down, and... He stumbles into someone's backyard, and a little girl walks outside. Oh, what's in my backyard? And please, child, help me, hide me. Yeah, begs for help, and she immediately calls the uh, KKK to come get him and string him up. Well, it's not just that; it's he's here, he's here. The N-word's over here. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they went there. They dropped it, and no, I don't know if you would have seen this back in the fifties uh, in a comic book, but I don't know how often you're going to see this now. No, they they would have avoided that stuff, absolutely. Yep. Even nowadays, I don't know how often you'd want to do it, but this is not in poor taste. This is in like, man. Yeah, this is. This hit me. This this really hit me. And then we get that great little uh, little uh, news uh, clip. I'm not sure who the guy who's saying all this is, but I want to believe it's 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 Rod Sterling. I wish it was Rod Sterling because he would <laughs> probably do it justice, but. This scene, yeah, these these next few pages are probably one of my favorite, like, I think the, my favorite part of the book itself. Yeah, very impactful. Yeah. I love his whole, like, his, his introduction of, you can take all of, like, 235, all, all panels of 235 and, and label it, not even label it, but put it under any fascistic regime from the past 20th century. And just mm -hmm. stick it on there right there. And what does he do? He sticks it. Where's what? What godless land allows this? You ask. Communist Russia, Red China, perhaps Turkey. It happened here in America, Tennessee, to be precise. Yep. Yeah. No, that's really, really strong stuff. Yep. 
Yeah, and I did want to talk a little bit about, um, because, I mean, someone, especially now in a 2020 lens, could look at this book and be like, it's so white, like, there's only one real black character here, and he's not really a character, more of a symbol. And even more than that, um, at least in terms of the his function in the story, he's almost there to kind of show John Jones what America, how America treats um, what it considers the other. Yep. But of course, it, it's also there um, outside of the story to show that kind of racial animus of that of that time period and what was going on since, you know, of course we have so many other ways to look at kind of the nuclear conflict and all that stuff, so that's kind of the civil rights conflict. This is the truth. I, I it, it had me question whether or not, and even now, of there should there have been more of this of of the civil rights involved in this book yeah because i can understand um not having a black character as one of your like a, a central element to the government side of things because i don't think the government would have accepted that yeah but yeah maybe because again steel he's he's barely a character in this book he's not a it's just a background character I I don't even know if you can call him a character, really. Oh, sorry, we're talking about two different characters. We're talking about John Henry and then, like, the actual Steel himself. Yeah, John Henry. Sorry, yeah, I keep doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, any any thoughts on that, or...? Yeah, so, I, I guess I'll go into this now. This is the perfect place. I, yeah, I, at the end of the day, it is a origin for the Justice League, sort of, and coming, them all coming together... And the first thought was not to go into the civil liberties or the, the civil rights movement in here. I don't know if that's stupid on, on Darwin's job, but and or, not, I don't know if ignorant is the word, but the fact that he, I'm glad he touched on it. But I do wish that there was a little more when it came to this stuff. In fact, I want to go so much as far as when I gave my, you know, my, my big like of I want to... I'd love to write more of these characters in this time period. I would have loved it if somehow John Jones didn't end up taking the identity of, you know, John, well, yeah, of John Jones, but he instead became black. Like, that would, that yeah. would probably be... That would have been great. I don't know if that's too obvious to do, like, all oh, the Martian from the other world from from mars assumes the identity of a black person in the 50s 60s oh how that's so obvious it's like i think it's perfect i think that's really good you can i think there's a lot of stories you could probably tell with that do you mean like when he when he takes on his green image at the end like as a more kind of more of a person looking martian no as in like before he shows himself as like the green martian it would have been interesting if he shapeshifted into a black man and oh, well. became a part of, like, the black community. Yeah, I, I could agree with that, but I more thought you meant when he finally takes, like, his final form. I thought you were saying it would have been cool for him to take form as a black person. That too. Um, Especially considering how much he kind of looked up to John Henry. It would have been a great way to honor him in that way. Yeah, and especially nowadays, with the depictions of John Jones in, in visual media... We've been, or at least in live action, his alter egos, except for Justice League, uh, Bruce Timm's Justice League, excuse me, have made him be played by a black guy. I believe yep. uh, his voice actor was is black as well, if I'm correct. 
In like the, the animated series that we watched? Yeah, in the animated series. I think Carl Lumby is black. Yep. So I've always assumed Martian Manhunter, when he is in his human disguise, is a black man. I mean, it doesn't really matter, but like, because he can assume any person's identity, but his default form that he would go back to if he was a human is a black man. Yeah, and uh, they do that in Smallville too, so that's that's one well, of the reasons I, I tend to think of him as black, because of that show. Yeah, and he's play yeah, and when he's played by uh, Vandal Savage himself, so. Yeah, who he shows up in the, yeah, the movie. I think he's playing King Faraday in that movie. Phil Morris. I think he is, yeah. Yeah, Phil Morris just loves DC. Yep. But yeah, I I do have to... I will say why when John meets King Faraday and they have their conversation later on, I and we get that explanation of, you know, he's he is good. Like, I, it, despite all on the surface at heart, he believes in a world where there is no more compromise, there is no... Uh, none of this baloney that's going on. And I, I kind of wish, I don't, I, I kind of wish that they talked about, like, Marsh Manor kind of questions, like, well, what about J John Wilson? Like, what about, what, what, why not, why couldn't you, or even, like, question all the, all the superheroes about, like, why can't you do anything about this? Like, Wonder Woman, why aren't you down there liberating? You liberated those, those slaves, those sex slaves, basically, those women in Vietnam, but, or, sorry, North, North, in Korea, excuse me. But you didn't do that in, at, in America. I guess because it's, it's, there's a lot of Superman. Why, you in all your power, why can't you just, like, get rid of the KKK? Yeah, and that's kind of why I was bringing this up, because I, I, I really think this is a great section of the book, but I feel like it could have been better. Oh, yeah, I like, agree I feel with like that. maybe there should have been something more there. And I've been thinking about this as well, of, like, well, you beat the KKK, which is, like, the, the enforcement of white supremacy and their their beliefs but you still have the people that you have to convince and how the f do you do that you can't just like obviously there's the you let them all die off first and then educate but of course there's either education or re-education which re-education is not the best word in my book let's put it that way and I, I don't like it's and even rehabilitation is it has some negative connotations in me i know it's actually a good thing but unfortunately there's been too many negative connotations to call it that, so I need a new word other than that, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I like that they use um, Superman and Wonder Woman to kind of look at the whole, you know, very much the the war machine aspect, yes. and kind of John Jones to look at the civil rights aspect, but by the end of the book I don't feel like it's as much of a focus as I would have liked. But It at least gets mentioned uh, in the in the speech. The speech obviously touches upon it, which is, is nice. And reaffirms that, but I I do have to agree. I I am a little perplexed. I'm again. I'm glad this is in here, but I I wonder. Do you think this book still would have been good? But had this not been in here, do you think it still would have been good? I mean, we wouldn't know that it wasn't in here. Yeah, I definitely still think it would have been good, but it would have been even more glaring that hey, this whole aspect of this era was omitted. Yeah, of course. It's do you talk about fifties America? This is talking about these America, but do you talk about government, the government side of America, or do you talk about the bigotry and the civil rights movements in America? That's the question. Yeah, but I, I guess we better move on from what we've talked about for a little while. So, <laughs> I guess we better jump to that's, things. That's fair. I guess that's that's also where the paranoia <laughs> of the center might have been able to come in, perhaps. But again, that would have been way too easy had it just been, oh yeah, all the civil, all the, all the civil rights and prejudice and. The, red paranoia is all because of the center like that 
That would have been yeah. stupid. That would have been yeah, awful. It would have, it would have been, yeah, it would have been a terrible choice. Take away the responsibility of the people of the time. So then we see, you know, on page, on 238, we see... Yeah, Paradise Island. Whew. Wait, what? Looks like Paradise. Oh, yeah, that. But um, no, in 238, we see, like, oh, just the, re the re reformation of, like, you know, John talking with his partner about what's going on uh, with the reporter. But I also want to point out, and we've seen Metropolis in the first panel there, uh, Lois and Clark. Oh. Yeah, they're right there. Oh, okay. Huh. Yeah, I know. I just wanted to point that out. And Philadelphia, I think that's where... Uh, I could be wrong. It's either Detroit or Philadelphia, or is it Indianapolis? But where um, Black Lightning is from, I believe. So I wonder if this is a little like when in Philadelphia, that's a reference to that, maybe. But yeah, it just reaffirms like, like what's going on here? Like, I feel bad. And then we, yes, finally, then we go to 240 Paradise Island. We get all the from all the gritty colors. Wonderful colors, by the way, that Darwin's done in the background. Not even, not even color. His color. Who's his colorist again? I forget. Um, Dave Stewart. Dave Stewart. Wonderful colorist. Good grief. Yep. Like, yep. it's it's amazing and wonderful. We get Paradise Island, and we see all of the Amazons uh, in there. And apparently, there's a tournament coming up. I guess uh, more Olympics are happening uh, in there. And we see a man approach in the skies. Yeah. Oh, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. Okay, so this is this is where... Okay, this is where I can do it. So, uh, Diana, I need to know why you left. It can't just be that oaf Nixon at the press conference. Why did you retire? Open your eyes, Cal. I didn't retire. I was forced uh, I was forced out because of my belief... Oh, I mean, that's what you meant. Okay. <laughs> that, yeah, that's exactly what I meant. <laughs> okay, well, fair enough. It's... Yeah, okay, it was the open secret <laughs> slash, like... This is a giant hint of you. Okay, I thought she just, like, quit on her own terms. I actually, no, yeah, no. I actually read that. I read that completely wrong. That's why she was like, I've, I've taken all that I've learned from my time over there, and now I want to bring it here back to America and tell people what I've seen. And they're like, uh, no, we don't want that. You just go away now. Yeah, that, yeah, you're right. Okay, I was wrong. Whereas Superman, he just keeps, he keeps trying to ride the line and ignore all the things that are going down, which I think is too bad, but I will actually just point out in this completely superficial but I love that they keep his suit in kind of like the old school way. Yes, with a black in it. Where it's all like squished in. Yeah, I just mean in like the lines, like his... Uh, oh, yeah. It's not skin tight. <laughs> I, I just like they do that for some reason. That's what I meant by like nowadays you'll see it very detailed and skin tight, whereas with this it's much more loose. It's I, I, I prefer that over some of the skin tight stuff. Since skin tight sucks, let me be perfectly clear, I love baggy clothing over skin tight clothing. Yeah, well, so I, I appreciate this. But there's some really brilliant stuff in this scene. Yeah, Cal, your real power lies in your strength, but in your values and compassion spirit. That is what America needs now. Not another administration. It needs a leader. Yep. Kind of like that she herself, as, as like, you know, the immortal, tells Superman, yeah, you should be a leader. Kind of like that. That's it. Rather than, like, him just assuming it, it's like, no, you. it kind of almost gets pushed into it. Yeah, don't just ride the winds of whoever's in charge at the time. Be the ideal, not the... Uh... Be the wind! Don't break the wind. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, um, before we move on, just in, back on back on 240, we see, you know, Diana's reading a book. But we see on her waist what appears to be a bunch of, like, knickknacks. 
Yeah, little charms. Or little, like, trophies, perhaps? Yeah, charms. I wonder if that's either from the island, or she acquired those while she was in the man's world, and she brought them back, and she's wearing them uh, on her skirt. Yeah, no clue. Belt. I don't know. I just I found that little... <laughs> I didn't want to say, like, I got distracted by the keys, but it was, like, other than all the gorgeous stuff on this island. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Mostly the island and the and those roses in the background. Yeah, I just was looking at that. Like I said, I love the Wonder Woman design. I mean... <laughs> this is the case, but anyway. Um, i also wondering if it's invisible or not. Like, if the island uh, is invisible. Yeah, we gotta get going here. We're already at 220. So yeah, Dr. Seuss here. He's writing his little fictional book about the center and then he kills himself. Um, then... Uh, <laughs> then we get um, another great little moment here. We have the Flash coming out and retiring on the TV screen. John Jones is thinking about maybe this country's let me down, maybe I should leave this planet, you know. If they kill John Henry, what would they do with me? And and the fact that he has a uh he he now knows that he has a option of going back home. It's like, "Oh. Okay, so that's the seeds of not discontent, but the seeds of leaving this place is is getting on him." Yep. And I like that he's sitting alone uh, as the Martian, not the the human. I just, I just love the the Dr. Seuss character. You just see all the, you know... I, I hope that... I, I hope Darren Cook didn't hate uh, Dr. Seuss. But it's just it's just interesting. Like, and I don't know, it's just... I like the I like his characters. I like the books. But it's just so funny that the, those characters are now in the... In this scene where this man commits suicide. It's like, good grief. I, I just can't believe that. And also on 245, we see uh, younger Walter Cronkite. Cronkite? Yeah, Cronkite. You know, the, the famous news uh, reporter, uh, television reporter. Yeah, the Flash swoops in and steals the attention away. Oh, yes, he does. And I remember he does that in the movie, though I don't remember if he. It's all word for word. But I certainly. I love the. Oh, it's all the. T I just realized it's all the TV sets. Wow, I just realized that, that each, like, each panel we see him in is a different TV set. Not panel, yep. but, like, yeah, each panel we see is a different TV set. Uh, but anyway, yeah, there, there were over 4,000 unsolved cases involving violent crimes last year in Central City alone, but the law has time to set elaborate traps for me. Yeah, that would certainly break a guy. That would certainly sway a guy from continuing on being uh, heroic. Yeah, and then once he quits, uh, John is just like, okay, then I've made my decision, I'm going home. So he goes and you know gives his formal retirement or moving on uh, the police department, but then he also is like, I need to talk to uh, the Batman. And yep. so he's like, all right, and we meet with him and pulls the old uh, I'm gone trick, as usual. Batman out. Yeah, and I love the the two page two page spread here of like the collage of his uh, uh, what would you call it? His file that he put together on this book. The file, yes. And we see, like, one panel in the top left-hand corner. Um, what was it called? On 249 uh, of Batman, you know, looking at it. And then, like, on the bottom of 250. Or, two, sorry, 250. And then 251 of him, you know, calling in Superman, basically. Which is nice. And we also get a uh, setup and our introduction to Adam Strange. Yep. A little foreshadowing there. Which is nice. Got to chapter nine, the flying cloud. The flying cloud. We are about to commence liftoff of going to Mars. Yeah, and who's waiting under the ship but our buddy John Jones? 
Oh, well, I was going to go before before that. Pardon me. Uh, before that, oh, we have... <laughs> yeah. Before, before we see John Jones, we see uh, Colonel Flagg and Jordan, and we actually uh, have them have how apologized to Flagg, which I thought was, yeah, certainly sucked up to... Not sucked up, but, like, swallowed his pride and, and apologized to him. And, yeah, Flagg's certainly a... Uh, uh, a rightful bad word, I'll say that. He's certainly a, a, a dumb head sometimes. But I love this line of, now get your butt in down there. I've got a dozen ex-Nazis in that mission room with their fingers on the switches. Keep an eye out on them for me. Yeah, that's pretty fucked up. Pretty fucked up to think. And then we also have a quick uh, little cameo by Dr. Magnus and his team. And just stupidly, Dr. Magnus was the leader of the Metal Men, or at least the creator of the Metal Men, excuse me. It's all basically the prim not pri the primary metals in the periodic table and uh, basically robots that have unique abilities uh, depending on the metal. So th there's just that. But yeah, we get the commencing and we see Faraday looking at the screens and we see John right there. I'm surprised he didn't use his invisibility. I don't know why he didn't, but whatever. He just chose not to. And we have their confrontation. Take it away. Yes, they take off and... Uh... Marsh manager is going to jump on, but Faraday interrupts him, and they have a little bit of a spat there. Yep. And then, uh... Takes off. Yeah, they take off, but unfortunately, John didn't go with him because he couldn't leave King to die there, and so he saves his life. We have a good one-page spread of the rocket taking off, and yeah. I, I like the fact that they, they talk about NASA and how that was actually going to occur, and that was... They, they were going to get out to... Or try to, be, you know, beat the Russians... Uh, or the Soviets, excuse me, uh, or catch up to them, excuse me. But this was like, we're going beyond that, which is nice. I, I don't yeah. know why I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, we jump over then on 259 to Arkham Asylum. And it's not about any of the rogues gallery inmates, interesting enough. It's a hero in his own right, uh, Adam Strange, who is kind of like Star-Lord in that he, I don't know if he got... Yeah, I don't. I don't think he was abducted, but he certainly can. He goes to and from space. It'd be interesting to see if there's a team up book between him and Hal Jordan, since they're both the spacemen of DC. I will say that. But we also get a little introduction of Ray Palmer, uh, aka the Atom, later on. But he's not the Atom in this story, which is funny enough. We'll get back to that later. And also, of course, a Batman ally, a longtime ally, Doctor Leslie Tompkins. Uh, we don't know if they know each other here, but certainly basically he's a, Adam Strange here is a, a nutcase for, on one page as, as a setup for later and that he is also been uh, infected his mind with the center stuff but then we also talking about the center I like the fact that we begin that center and we see another person who has been influenced by the center and I didn't even realize this on 260 we see that uh, what's that guy's name um yeah, Jesse Bright. Yeah, Jesse Bright, one of the other Suicide Squad members, uh, also is under the influence of the circle, or the circle, the center. Uh, and then I see another circle, that's where it comes from. And that he scraps the mission. He he sabotages the mission. That's like, da dang. Yeah, that's pretty surprising. Now, uh, here, Nellis Air Force Base 30 hours later, I didn't realize that, 261. Here's where the um, payoff is. So we see in the background on panel one, we see Vandal Savage, computer monitors. We read Vandal Savage, Leonard Snart, somebody behind him that I don't know who it says in number five, Rex Tyler, and then seven is unknown. And 
Martian Manhunter is in number seven. And actually at the bottom we can see, in, in panel three, we can see Vandal Savage clearly right there um, in number three. But we see Leonard Snart there. If you look at panel six, or if we look at um, monitor six, I don't see Tyler. Yeah, I just see a bed. Yep. That, yeah. I know that sounds like, oh, it could just be off camera. I'm pretty sure that would be showing the whole room. So, like, I don't think it would be under the room. That guy's dead. Oh, well, fair enough. <laughs> I mean, anyway, I don't know if I can see anyone on the first snart uh, either. It just looks no, like he's in, he's in, No, he's in bed. He's actually sleeping uh, in the bed. Yeah, well, I guess, I guess that's fair. It doesn't quite look it to me, but I'm not wearing my glasses here. So. That's totally fair. Um, but here we have basically um, the conclusion that Martian Manhunter has reached with Faraday. Uh, I'm not a murderer. It would have diminished me to let another creature die unnecessarily. But I also saw into your mind, and by extension, your heart. I could see that you are a man of conviction, and I know that you uh, are doing what you believe and doing the right thing. You are not evil. Within your mind, I can see that your struggle is in the name of good. You believe it is the struggle that will end. In your heart, you honestly believe there will be a better day when all this won't be necessary. To find that within you, King Faraday, it has filled my heart with hope. Yeah, no, that was that was something interesting. And even Darwin Cook said that, you know, King Faraday started off as like a nobody. He, he started off as like, oh, yeah, I just... just character I'm going to kill off eventually but then he found that when he was writing with Martian Manhunter they actually paired off uh, interestingly uh, they paired off very well together and we found that oh he's actually like a deep down above all the all the crap that he has he's actually like uh, he wants to see the world in a better place it's just that he's willing to compromise and, and do things that aren't morally just sometimes to, to get that Again, the ends just by the means, and there's a whole topic of debate on there. But yeah, it's just I found that interesting. I definitely felt that their scenes were the ones that soared the most, the king and, and him. Before yep. then, I just kind of thought King was just an asshole. So, but then we actually give him character, and I'm like, oh wow, this is actually like a character, and he's not just. It's an it's almost an interesting take on like he's the Nick Fury almost. Not not really. But it's it's funny that he kind of see he's in that position of Nick Fury, but and it's the same like the ends justify the means. But we have a character that literally has the ability to look inside your heart and tell if you're lying or not. So we actually see like this man means to be good. And I, I just found that interesting. Oh, but after that bit there, we cut back to the uh, the flying cloud with its uh, sabotage situation here. Yep. And the challengers of the unknown race off to go and rescue him, which King is very much not happy about. Yep, because he's wanting to uh, call in the big guy, a.k.a. I think Bishop Six, which... Yeah, that's a great little bit here. If Aaron were here, yeah, there's some chess motifs in this part. <laughs> I mean, King, Bishop Six, uh, Hal wants to... Not Hal. Um, I think King Faraday actually says to John Jones, like, back at the precinct, that he is more of a chess man himself. Um, but yeah, then we all the way, all of a sudden, like, jump to Tokyo Bay of Superman fighting what is obviously Toy Man. It looks awesome. Just just a great little bit. Yep. All it needs is a giant monster to go come come across as well and it'd probably be great, but Yeah, I just love the fact that we have a serious situation here and the fact that uh 
oh yeah, no, what's happening in Tokyo Bay means nothing. It's like, oh, okay, fair enough. But <laughs> we find out what the problem with what's on the rocket, which is Flying Cloud had a secret protocol. There are three warheads in her cargo bay. One is viral, the second is nerve agent, the third is a hydrogen bomb. Weapons were meant as a final solution if the Martians were a serious threat. And I also have to question right there, if Martian Manhunter read his mind, why didn't he... Didn't he... Wouldn't he have known that? Yeah. I mean, maybe they didn't realize that plan yet. Maybe it wasn't until they encountered him there. No, I guess that's not true. That's not true. Yeah, I don't I don't understand it then. So yeah. I, gotta, I gotta say, like, um... Wouldn't... Wouldn't John have something to say about that? Of, like, you were gonna exterminate my race. What yeah, the heck? Should have. Yeah. So, yeah, I gotta call out that either... I want to sound like a dunce and say Darwin didn't think of that, but I'm like, oh, what's going on? But then we have basically this this action scene of the challengers of the unknown trying to basically stop the stop the um, the Ferris Airways ship from like getting into the atmosphere and burning up and then releasing all the uh, cargo and onto the into humanity, which would suck. And what happens, what happens, what happens? Yeah, Superman beats Toy Man. By the way, that is supposed to be Toy Man. Uh, or at least one of his uh, his robots, excuse me. Uh, beats one of Toy Man's ro beats robot. Yeah, beats the robot, excuse me. And then it's like, this better be good, Faraday. Love that. And the ship re-enters the atmosphere, and what we get next is what should have been uh what could have been excuse me the life i never had of rick flag basically you know his last moments and seeing like oh what could have happened between me and karen and yeah again karen is is uh not a character here i kind of wish we got some of her thoughts it's not a worst yeah. thing but that certainly is a thing i wish we had we didn't really need it i mean we, maybe no. we could have used more female characters but she there wasn't enough there really in terms of the function of the character. Oh yeah, we have, we certainly have enough female characters anyway, but yeah, it would have been. It's just this one feels sidelined. Yeah, I do love the art on that page though. The the two, kind of. Uh, oh yeah. Juxtaposition. It's, again, one thing that people probably called or compare Darwin Cook to is is Kirby, and there's actually some illustrations in the back of the book that reaffirm that, where he actually draws is does his best Kirby impression. <laughs> um. But this scene right here just reminds me of, of Kirby. I don't know why. It just looks something like Kirby would have done. Like the Fantastic Four re-entering the, uh, re re the Earth after their incident. And we get that beautiful like one-page spread of on 257, or 276 excuse me, of Superman uh, getting the Challenges of the Unknown out of there. It's it, uh, very toasty and whatnot. And very interesting. Very interesting. Then the Arlington Cemetery, the Twenty One Gun Salute, and Faraday is sad. Wondering in on on two fifty or on two sorry two seventy uh, seven who that woman is in the background. I think that's one of the I think that's uh, June the uh, the challenges of the unknown uh, uh, agent I think. Yeah, but after that bit there we uh, get uh, it's Hal the introduction finally yeah the introduction of the Green Lantern's Hal sitting sitting in the simulator room feeling pretty sad about how the mission all turned out and then a green yep. light just kind of envelops the scene we also get another display of uh of of 50 sentiment of what they had with uh we had it early on with john cloud since he was in a veto but we also get here of tom uh 
Hal's regular sidekick back in the day. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, and uh, they call him a, uh, well, I'm not going to say it, but you see it right there. Well, they say it in the book, I'm still not going to say it, but... Yeah, that, that word, which was a unfortunate, yeah, slur used in the day. I kind of wish, I know, he's, it, I know he calls him white bread, I wish he called him a cracker, because that would have been even funnier, but that's just me. And I like that Hal uh, gives Ace a call, and uh, tries to talk to him about what just happened, but can't quite get it out. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, certainly like, oh, how do I explain myself that I found this little battery? And then we see a little bit of the Abin's skirts up there. We also see that um, little setup of uh, of Lois and that too, but uh, Lois and Jimmy at the Challengers Mountain, because uh, that comes in a little later. Oh, that, that's. But yeah, then we out, see yeah, yeah Aubin Sir. Um, we're at Chapter Ten, SOS Green Lantern, and yeah, it's. I love the fact that uh, two things that Aubin Sir was called here. We do this multiple times of like, why did the Green Lanterns come to the Earth? Like, what was we are, and we always redo this of like Aubin Sir coming to Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this case, it was because of the center, and also, why was his rocket destroyed? Because of what, or his ship destroyed? Because of the rocket that just blew up in the atmosphere, which I guess has no harsh effects on it, so afterwards, with all the cargo, I think they dumped the cargo. Yeah, they got the cargo out of there, that's right. The Challengers, you know, got the cargo out of there, and then they the rocket blew up, that's what happens. And the rocket was what blew up uh, the ship because it was yellow energy, that's right. As I approached your atmosphere, a cataclysmic explosion flooded the with light and poisons from the yellow spectrum consumed me. That's that's literally what it is. Yeah, we get some more great art here. All this oh, stuff yes. the Green Lantern. Oh yes, just awesome. Yeah, I guess we'll cut past some of this because there's a lot of Green Lantern stuff here. <laughs> yeah, just more. We get we get more. I feel like the fact that he says suffering Susie. I don't know if you care for that or not, but I, I found that pretty cool. Yeah, I don't mind I that. I don't mind that either. Um, yeah, he learns a little bit about the the strength of this ring and what it can, what it's capable of. So, if I may ask, since we're with Hal right now, what did you think of how? What do you think of Hal Jordan before you read this? Not not too much, really. Post reading this, I certainly like him in this book. It doesn't change. Yeah. Cause I've read some some books where he's just kind of just a little bland. Yep. Um, in that movie too, he's also pretty bland in that, but. Yeah, I'm pretty sure with, I think some of this, I don't know if some of this is in the movie at all. I wish we, this was the origin for Hal Jordan from then on, because it's just, it makes him much more a character, which is nice. Mm-hmm. And, and probably gives you a reason why, because unfortunately nowadays a lot of people say, oh yeah, Hal Jordan was the greatest Green Lantern of all. It's like, was he though? Like the guy ended up killing his once the city was yeah. destroyed and I forget which comic that was he then goes mad with power steals all the Green Lantern rings becomes possessed by Parallax and then like goes on a killing spree trying to recreate the uh, coastal city it's like is that guy ever Damn. great? this makes him great I don't know if it makes him the greatest but it certainly makes him a good character let's put it that way yeah at least in this book but you'll probably have to take more of the lead from this point on because that's where I unfortunately wasn't able to finish it yes and then we have yeah more just more of him like moving mountains literally like superman almost and limitations safety protocols and all that stuff and then we are now at challenger mountain and we get some confirmation on what's going on with the dna of each of the creatures the dinosaurs from dinosaur island and what is it the dna is loaded with the code exclusive limits types of the readers should be fast blah 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 
Uh, yeah, basically just like techno babble. Yes, techno babble. There you go. And then we get the fact that uh, there's another warning going on. Another little uh, there's an alarm, and um, there's another magazine of of Ray Palmer on it. See that in a second. Uh, chapter eleven. Towards the center. Getting close, boys. Getting close. We have Clark Kent. I love the fact how we introduce Clark Kent. By the way, we don't even say it's in Metropolis. We just have, you know, this reporter guy here uh, with his ham sandwich, by the way. I just realized that. And his typewriter. And right there is a letter that says Clark Kent, Daily Planet. I'm like, that's brilliant. That's, I, I like that. The, just that form of uh, page layout, I like that. Yeah, and this is basically the Dr. Seuss book, right? This is a Dr. Seuss, Theodore uh, Smeasel. Mm. Um, and if you read this a little not the more but this basically states that I've grown restless in my youth and yearn to explore the other spheres that cycle endlessly around the glowing center of my world I shall fee, feed and yeah, I shall feed and I shall grow as always from the center so basically Theodore Smeasel is talking is being talked through the center and this, this is all the center's thoughts basically yeah uh, and what seems a heartbeat, these things had proliferated, and both numbers and destructive means another heartbeat, and they had brought their conflicts to my haven. By the time they had harnessed the most destructive forces on our sphere, I concluded it was time to leave my azure home. That's not how you say it, but... Uh, so it does does go back to the nuclear stuff. Yeah, it does go... I guess, yeah, it is that, but I didn't take it as that. He was always wanting to explore, or at least get off the island, so... But you're right. Yeah, it was the it was the nuclear, not manifold. What do you call it? it was the nuclear option. Yeah, and that's smart of Cook to kind of weave in that Cold War aspect. It's such a huge part of that time. So yeah, makes sense. So that's the center's desire is to get off the planet. I like the fact that it was the center doesn't talk up doesn't talk at all in this. I remember in the movie he's voiced by Keith David, but I like mm -hmm. the fact that it never speaks in this. Uh, I think I prefer that choice. I love Keith David, don't get me wrong. Guy's an amazing actor, but like, with yeah, this, this, I like that he talks through other people. Yeah, and this was an important bit that I was uh, missing from my, I just didn't remember it from my last read. Yeah, he says he sent forth all those little guys around because he was looking for energies that he'd require in order to yep. leave the yep. spheres and brace. So. And that's where we'll get to. There's literally a line that I didn't realize at the end of the story that... I was like, oh, okay, that's why he's there. We'll get to that. So that, again, their point, they'll put a pin in that. That's what I mean. So Clark, uh, knowing some of that stuff now, goes off to track down Batman, have a little chat with him about what they've learned. And who do we meet? And this is, again, this is another, you know, I guess the whole book is my favorite part, but yeah, this is I, I like this part as well, of just, like, the lead-up to, and, and again, using Superman's super hearing. And we hear... No, a child's voice. And who do we see? But it's the boy Wonder himself. Yeah, and Batman's taking on a bit of a different look now. He's going less for the fearsome look. He trimmed down his little uh, little ear points at the top, and now they're nice and thin. Or nice and uh, small, I should say. Yep. Going for a little bit more of a family-friendly uh, appeal. <laughs> I set out to scare criminals, not children. As for the boy, well, I guess we're just two lost souls who found each other. Yeah, I really like that scene, too. Yeah, he's not. He, this is like the only. This is the only point we see with uh, Dick Grayson, but it's still nice to see him there. And he really is a boy in this. He's not a teenager. He's, I think, legitimately a boy. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's kind of nice just to see him there. And then uh, we get 
go back to Paradise Island and they're, you know, Wendy and another Amazon are training right now. And she says Hala, by the way, which is a thing that a lot of kids nowadays use uh, in their vernacular. So I'm wondering what that means. I guess it's a Amazonian Greek term. Yeah, but they're having their little fight, Wonder Woman and someone else, I'm not sure who. <laughs> but, and then something ominous uh, fills the scene. So I guess we'll get back to that in a bit. Pin in that. We have a chess match going on. You want to get much into this scene, or? Basically just, like, talking about how we're going to need everybody. Oh, yeah, first we see who, why, uh, why King is named King, excuse me. Plan of what's going on, the menace, and then we get, it may take the combined efforts of all Americans to meet this challenge. It is your government. Are you ready to accept that? It is your move, King. And then we go to Cape Canaveral in Florida. Oh boy, here we go. So, challenges of the unknown. We saw them previously at the mountain, and they all geared up with Lois Lane and uh, Jimmy Olsen. They responded to this big, massive event that was happening there. This giant, giant, enormous... Get another pterodactyl flying like creature. I know it's not a pterodactyl, but just it looks like that. We almost have them end up in the mouth. But they get out of there, and then it's like, oh yeah, we need we need Bishop Six, and we all know who Bishop Six is. And we also get a um Is it Captain No, yeah, no that's Morgan. Oh yeah, there he is. So we get a brief introduction to Captain Nathaniel Adam. The eponymous Captain Atom. Yeah, a lot of atoms in here. Or whatnot, but yeah, Captain Adam. He's not Captain Adam in this either. But so we basically see there's a buzzing sound as well, in that. and then we see Superman Bishop Six come in and take out the creature. Oh yeah, then we jump over quickly and we see Aquaman. I, I don't think we see him much more in this book. So we see him more in this than we do the movie because I remember he only shows up literally at the end. But but here uh, it actually affirms that we. This is a whole, like, other book that could have been made. This is a... All the facts that this is a book that doesn't... It's almost like an event comic, but it doesn't have any tie-ins. And it almost could have used some tie-ins. Actually, yeah. that's probably what it could have done. Then we could have had, like, different... And it's all written by... Uh, probably been massive, but it could have all been written by uh, Cook as well, where we have par parts of the civil rights being talked about, and then we have Aquaman here, because I love this, where it's like, within and without, one casts all about... For fear of what lives at the center, and that's basically like the boogeyman of Atlantean dwell uh, Atlantean mothers used to tell the kids. Uh, and also, I love this that it's like at my back, the largest army in the world, ahead of us, a threat so vast it could exterminate half my birthright. Again, yeah, we don't we don't see him a lot. There should have been more with him, but also I love that he has a um, I think it's a a, a bite bite den. I think it's not it's not a trident, it's a bident. Next page on two, on on three fourteen is the largest army in the world, and I love that. I don't know how if they did that justice in the Aquaman movie, but man, I'd love to see that in in, in the in a film where he just like sends a whole wave of all the ever all the oceans everywhere and all the critters in the ocean and just like destroys the surface world. That's another thing. It, I don't know if you've read this before, but it reminds me of uh, the part with Aquaman talking about how he's in control of, like, the largest army in the ocean, or in the world, excuse me. It reminds me, of, I don't think you've read it yet, but in Kingdom Come, he mentions uh, that he 
he says that great line of like he has, uh, Superman controls or at least protects like 30% of the world and Aquaman protects the rest of the the 70%. Yeah, I just mm-hmm. I like that line a lot. And I it almost made me feel like could Kingdom Come honestly be like a an endpoint for this universe? Like this particular story in a way? Like this is the beginning of the hmm. Justice League and then like Kingdom Come is the last story of the Justice League. I think it honestly could work. Yeah, that's fair. But anyway, chapter 12, the war that time forgot. So, yeah, it's basically everybody coming together and there's still this buzzing that's going on and everything's, everyone's trying to get. Yeah, everyone's kind of in a panic. We see uh, Wonder Woman. Everybody in the base at Cape Canaveral is trying to figure out like, oh, what's going on? And they're scrambling. Yeah, panicked. And then we have, we hear another buzz, we hear this buzzing and it's like, Superman's like, I know that sound. It's a prop plane. A P-51 Mustang. I have no idea. My my planes, like, Johnny knows more about planes than I do. He knows a lot more about guns than I do as well. I have nothing about planes. I know a little more about automobiles because of my coworkers, but I certainly was never interested in that kind of stuff. But here we get... This probably is completely goofy, but, again, I think it works. We get Wonder Woman in the Invisible Jet, and she's bloodied she there is blood everywhere maybe not everywhere but oh boy it was i remember darwin cooking the liner notes talking about how he wanted to somehow have the invisible jet in there he's like i don't know how i'm gonna do that and other thing is that she flies she can fly although i guess it's interpreted that she can't fly fast like she's not a fast flyer like she she's fast on me wrong but she can't break the sound barrier so she uses a plane i guess that works it's always the question of like if you can fly why do you need a plane or whatnot why do you need a vehicle to transport yourself in uh it's like the flash having a a flash mobile or something like that but yeah we see her crash i like the panel layout of how she crashes on the 370 or 317 excuse me and in panel two we just see we actually see the outline of the plane itself uh what are your thoughts on mm-hmm. that no that's cool yeah I guess that's it and then basically <laughs> uh we basically uh get superman she gets he gets her out of there haven't flown this thing in years yes i'm a little rusty and gets her out there to a medic and then we have the news report of lois lane who convinced i guess was there's radio silence and or not radio silence but th- there was no reporting going on or they couldn't record stuff and we see in really nice um I forget how he did it, but he in, in really nice, um, col- no, not coloring, but filter. There we go. A good filter of what the um, CRT TVs were like in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks awesome, especially the shot of the center beast. Then we get the center on three twenty-two and twenty-three, and holy crap, twenty-three mile, twenty-five miles across. That's at least forty ish kilometers yeah yeah 26 kilometers or 26 miles is is a marathon i believe yeah so that's about that sounds about right geez that's 40 that's long that's like i'm trying to think now that's between here sorry i'm saying and probably uh it's furtish yeah about that area wow yeah it's crazy that yeah just oh it's beautiful this was this is a great two-page spread yeah, but Flash uh, sees the news on the TV, and he just he, he can't stay in retirement anymore. He's got to 
I like that Iris already knew that he was the Flash and it's got his costume ready for him. I, I, I made a mistake. I thought when I first read this, I thought she I thought there was a line said that she said, You left it out. Like you just left it lying around. I'm like, seriously? <laughs> it's it's not. I read it what back. Book were you reading? I don't know. I was <laughs> I, I had no idea it was late and I was I'm not tired of it. Yeah, I, I guess I understand. That. I'm glad I I'm glad I reread this because it's it's so on my mind right now. But yeah, it's like I don't know. It's the whole like, oh yeah, I'm an investigative reporter. Of course I'm gonna know. It's like yeah, secret identities mean nothing. But yeah, I love the fact that uh, I, even though it's very little, I do love their relationship. This is probably the closest thing to like a like traditional '50s looking romance. I I guess I enjoy it. Yeah, not that we see too much of it, but yeah. Yeah, then we flash back to Nell's Air Force Base and King Faraday has, uh, things have gotten bad enough, he's coming to Martian Manhunter, like, okay, it's time to put our plan to action. <laughs> um, before, before we move on and go that, I love the little scene of, like, we see, uh, Vandal Savage, you know, blabbering about to Faraday. And he uses the R word on Savage, which I'm like, oh, okay, um... And again, this is where I'm a little like, um, Cook, what are you doing? Because we have the, uh, it's 2006. He, it is, uh, for, uh, or 2004. It's 2004, but even then it's like, well, this, hang on. Faraday threatens Savage of, because he's immortal, he's gonna like gas him twice, uh, was it twice an hour now from now on, which is like, oh golly, that's, that's terrible. And then all of a sudden, he radios in for Chopper to get ready, and then, He's like, oh yeah, and have them gas Savage twice an hour till we get back. <laughs> and then there's like, pardon my language, bastard, and the background, which is which is pretty awesome. I'll say that and pretty funny. But I'm like, why didn't John say anything? He's like, dude, seriously, like why? Unless he read his mind. But it's like I still would have like loved to have John's be like, yo, what the, f like why? That's, that's where I'm just like, Cook, are you sure you've thought this through properly? I don't know. I'm... He's got more on his mind. He's so. got more on his mind. That's fair. I'm <laughs> starting to look at the cracks here. It's like, um, I don't know about this. Just like, does he really mean it to the end? But anyway, yeah. Then we get a shot on 230 or 228 of, or sorry, 328 of Green Arrow. Yeah, we see some montages. Yeah, the Green Arrow, the Sea Devils, and the Blackhawks. Yeah, and also how. Oh, yeah. Who's hiding out at some, uh. I don't know if he's hiding out, but he's at some um, motel. Yeah, I didn't motel, think so. I didn't think he was hiding out either. I was that was a little weird. He could just be kind of staying to himself to kind of think, contemplate what's going on. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That's probably what he's doing. Of just like meditating and being introspective of what's gone on. The fact that the other thing he says, spacemen exist. I'm like, Su Superman. Like, hello. Superman exists. There are some cracks. But anyway, so he heads back to Ferris Air Base. And here comes Carol and strutting in, just all angry of like, you know, load on son of a gun. Uh, how the pacifist is going down there to get killed by that thing. I love how they're both kind of mad at each other, but still like wish that they could have maybe a better exchange here at the end. Well, they certainly get their exchange on uh, 233. Or sorry, 333. Excuse me. Yeah, the kiss. Yeah. And yeah, that's... Uh, Aren't you at least going to say goodbye? That's a great <laughs> shot. I certainly enjoy that. I wouldn't have expected if... Uh, yeah, but to point to some holes, shouldn't their hair be on fire? 
I think it's supposed to... Technically, you see that it's away from them because in the previous shot, they're not directly behind the thruster and the yeah. exhaust. So yeah. you literally see it on two, on 332. Like, they're behind it. So, yeah, he's playing with... I think, yeah, he's playing with space and time here, but it's an angle. What do you expect? Yeah, but then we get to Chapter 14, the Boy Scouts last. So now everything's gone into fucking chaos territory big beasties are everywhere here's some gore and we're actually uh, first off this this opening scene is not of uh the present it's actually the past of when they invaded yep. the amazon paradise island the mascara excuse me and they demolished it jeez i like that little flashback is more in like a sepia kind of tone yeah no i love that it's uh it's kind of the, the colors are all dulled it's pretty nice yep. Yeah, and it's pretty crazy that she kisses uh, Superman here. They have their oh, little yeah. scene where she's kind of explaining what happened, and then... And does she die? No, 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 no. It looks just... like she dies. It looks but... like she dies, but she <laughs> I don't remember. No, 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 no. Yeah, no, it's... It's been a while, sir, but no, she does uh... not die. She, she, she lives. Yeah, it's only been like a month and a half, but it feels like it's been a lot longer with all this moving stuff. Yeah, that's but... fair. Uh, bottom of uh, panel three on 337, we have... Uh, both these characters, or we have a bunch of characters bickering right now. Yeah, Sergeant Rock is in there, and Darwin Cook wanted to use him, but apparently he could not, which is sad. But we have, yeah, we have all these, um, maybe each of the characters bickering, and it's like a Marvel movie, eh? But I think it makes sense because it is America, and all these people do have different ideas and ideals, excuse me. So, of course, they're all going to uh, disagree in this, in this sense because it is a time of political uh, division, so. Trying that happens, and then of course, big thunderclap by Superman with the red eyes, and somehow it looks more menacing here than it does nowadays because every time we just because now we just can't stop doing Superman with red eyes. So, but here it's really awesome. Yeah, he finally takes uh, Diana's advice, and instead of just following the administration, he takes the role as a leader. Yeah, pretty much, and even calls out like, uh, "What happened to this country of ours?" I will no longer be a party to any form of oppression or persecution. So I hope that's him stepping his game up and being like, yeah, I'm taking on the clan eventually, hopefully. But that's for another time, of course. Right now we have more pressing matters of... It's not that we don't want the clan exterminated at this point, and I mean, I would like that, but it's going to exterminate everybody and the clan, so... Yeah, the whole planet. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I also like the fact that he calls Diana his best friend, by the way, which is interesting. And I guess that is the case that him and Bruce probably aren't. They're 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 still no. like big friends, but oh yeah, I guess definitely estranged. Yeah, but by the way, before we, I know I'm probably jumping the gun here, but I'm trying to I gotta find that panel again. Uh, yeah, here we go. The, yeah, the, I completely forgot about this, but unless I've not seen it yet, but there was a panel of Bruce and I think uh, Superman talking about why he's not at the scene right now i guess we glossed over that oops hey we've we've covered more than enough <laughs> three hours and six minutes yeah but it, it and it's just slight important uh just because it explains where batman is and that he was using his resources uh to help get all the other military available over here but yeah anyway then we have faraday talking with superman and introducing john to him and i love the likewise sir i greatly enjoy your animated adventures at the cinema uh, yeah, and then he's like, yeah, I'm going to go scout out what's going on and takes on a bunch of the uh, goons and cannon fodder and all of a sudden 
It is like using an atomic bomb to snuff out a candle. My mind explodes into Alizarin Flowers of Pain, which is, I like the fact that it's uh, Martian Manhunter uh, talking, or talking in the scene, uh, and he's like mind melded with Superman. That's kind of cool. And we see what happens, and basically they, we have the you know, the strongest hero on the planet go up against the uh, this, you know, this massive being, and it just shoots him down like nothing. Yep, shows they need to work as a team yep. in order to take this guy down. And obviously, I don't know if fans of Superman are like, that's stupid, like, what the f***? Yeah. Uh, I, I found it okay, I was like, it's probably not the worst idea, but of, you know, putting... Because they did go with the whole, like, oh, why didn't Superman just destroy it at first? Well, he did. And it almost destroyed him, so... Anyway. Yeah, but I like that we cut away to the moon here oh, with the, the Phantom Stranger. Yes. Calling together some buddies here. <laughs> oh, yes. This is another... And this is another, like, part where... Cook even talked about this in the liner notes. That people would be like, this is just out of nowhere. We just had Superman go down. And the, the thing itself is about to destroy the Earth. Or sort of. When I was talking about the more intricate art. I mean, this is the section of the book where things just start to really... Like, so much more, um, kind of splashy. Yep. Unique look stuff. Yep. But it's basically, everyone's like, wait a minute, I thought magic characters existed in DC. And it's like, yes, they do. And here they all are. We have the Phantom Stranger, Zatanna, Billy Batson, aka Captain Marvel, the Spectre, and Dr. Fate himself. And it's like, oh yeah, couldn't they, you know, be, they, they said, what is it? We possess mystic forces that could perhaps defeat the center. I don't. I honestly don't think so. I legit think that the center they would be resistant against magic. I feel something that size could probably resist magic, even like counter it, perhaps. But yeah, they basically state that the reason they don't interfere is because it's humanity that has to. This new generation has to do so, and that eventually they hope that it will be several millennia until mankind transcends science and finds the true nature of existence. But that is the order of things. Uh, Cop-out? I don't fully know, but... Yeah. Also, forgot to mention that the center came from space, you know, millennia ago, ended up, you know, on Earth, and created dinosaurs out of the other forms of the dinosaurs, and lived peacefully. Yeah, I forgot to mention that, but... Anyway, chapter 15, which felt like it came out of nowhere. When I, f I first read that, I was like, on chapter 12, I noticed that, and then I was on 15, I was like, wait, what? That went fast. And we start off with Lois Lane, you know, giving an interview, and she can't do it because, you know, her, her soups is gone. He's, he's been dead. And I kind of like this, that we actually assume he's dead. I kind of enjoyed that. No, yeah, I like that too. Yep. Yeah, I liked her moment there. Yeah, so we cut over, and then we see... Uh... Adam Strange leaving the asylum. And here's that, yeah, that's the bit you're talking about before, right? Yeah. Yeah, and we get um, Hal Jordan here. Does a ship crash? Yeah, he, I think it would appear the saucer still had a few bugs in its fuel system or something. And basically, he uses the ring as not a failsafe, but to power up all the secondary, the act as an energy source and power up and kind of be a defensive tool, which is pretty cool. And then we also go to the Indiana suburbs, suburbs, excuse me, and finally get that payoff. Yeah, Adam Strange goes to pick up, pick up Ray Palmer, bring him into the game. And I love the situation of, because he's the one that will have shrinking technology, and it's like, well, my device is flawed, it doesn't work properly. Exactly! And I love that, that's, <laughs> I always love that, it's like, when something doesn't work, use it as a weapon, it'll work. 
That's great. Yeah, so now everyone's prepped and ready to go and uh, get to chapter 16 here. And they kind of explain the Ray Palmer plan, as you were saying, how he tries to shrink stuff, but it's all unstable, and that's his whole plan to do this, and you can shrink that guy down and fuck him up big time. I like the little, uh, in panel 2 of uh, 356, we see uh, Adam come in with Ray Palmer uh, from the window and then landing in the toilet soldier, seeing that. And we also get a callback and our payoff to what happened in Central City with Faraday and the Flash. We'll see Green, Green Arrow there, sorry, talking about stuff, uh, secrets and stuff. And then we just see, yeah, Flash slug uh, Faraday for what happened. And I thought that was a nice little payoff there. And then <laughs> insult to injury, we ask the, the two guys that arrived last, like, oh, where can we find, uh, oh, look, it's the, uh, it's the Illinois Flash, because apparently that's where, apparently Central City and Keystone City are located in Illinois, or at least the Illinois area. It's Midwest somewhere. But where can we find the professor? He's asked the jerk picking himself off the floor. And that was, here we go in chapter 16, the Dawn Patrol. Not the Doom Patrol, the Dawn Patrol. Even though the leader of the Doom Patrol is the guy in the wheelchair, if you notice that, but yeah. And boy, this is a way better Independence Day than Independence Day, eh? Yeah, they're all heading off to uh, fight the battle. Yeah, after all, they're putting aside their differences there. Yep, and we see that... Ace Morgan's like, oh, hey, we're just, uh, I was expecting somebody to show up, like they usually do in the movies, where it's like, all of a sudden you see the other main character from nowhere, and who appears but Wingman Jordan, he shows up. And then, two, three, sixty-four and sixty-five, we have the brave and the bold. Oh, but see, after all that, yeah, we, uh, almost immediately, Martian Manhunter's taken out of the fight, because he gets kind of zapped. Oh, is that happening right here? So what happens is the the monster that uh, Superman fought earlier, the big pterodactyl, actually blows up, or sorry, what comes out of it is a lot of monsters. Kind of reminds me of Necromorphs almost, where there's a there's a certain Necromorph type in Dead Space where if you kill it, a bunch of or if you don't kill it properly, a bunch of smaller beings come out of its body, and that happens here, and it's pretty cool, and. Yeah, the fight basically begins. We see the aeroplane. That's awesome. We see the blackbirds. That's pretty cool. We see the sea devils rescuing people there. Uh, where is there? Oh, we also get a look at all those crazy fish down there. It's like they're containing the turbulence from this thing. So that's what Aquaman's doing. He's basically having his army do a counter turbulence, I think. To I, I assume it's causing a hurricane, perhaps, somehow. And so he's causing his fish to, like, counter turbulent. I don't know. It probably doesn't matter, but... It's there for that reason. And so it's basically not causing the whole air system to be chaotic. And then we see Jimmy Olsen trying to get a piece of film back. Oh, we also see the, yeah, Ace Morgan, Nathaniel Adam, and uh, Hal Jordan all go into the center themselves. And after that, we see, here we go. Hey, look, Wonder Woman's back. She didn't die. Oh, yeah, there we go. And she's yeah. wielding a steel girder and using it like a staff. And it's like, oh, baby, yes. And then we see this. Yeah, that's there's, here's a scene I was talking yes, about. Yes, here's the yeah. scene. Go ahead. Yeah, poor Martian Manager gets taken over by the center and attacks King. Yeah, kind of reminds me of that episode, uh, Knight's Tale, or whatever, the one with Morgana and uh, Mordred are. Remember when, when Martian Manager kind of gets his mind invaded by uh, Morgana, if you remember that. Yeah, Night of Shadows. Night of Shadows, thank you. And then he... Yeah, he kills King. 
But you, not obviously intentionally, of course, but under control of the center. Well, yeah, <laughs> but still, I mean, he feels responsible for it, clearly. Yeah, he certainly does. And I thought here was where King had superpowers. Like, I feel... Uh, I thought he did, but he, he doesn't. Yeah. But then we see him... No, he's just a regular dude. But then we have the Superman movie moment of him screaming into the air, going up and violently slaughtering all these... Um, all these beings, all these creatures. Also, there in the background is Adam Strange. It's great. It's wonderful. I love that. So the blood coming down on him. Yeah, but now we get to the three of those guys yep. in the center, and uh, this is when things just spiral off into real crazy town. Yep. And this this feels like kind of 60s Doctor Strange in, in some ways for me. Oh, yeah. Where all of a sudden we just have distorted images. Yeah, and I don't want to just go through and describe all these images here, but... I don't think you can. Really spectacular stuff. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I love the fact that he mentions... He, he thinks about when he's going through the mindscape or whatever you want to call it, the tunnel. Uh, he's thinking about yellow, and then all of a sudden this giant yellow crystalline snake thing almost comes at him, and it's like, oh, that's awesome. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome thinking about his weakness. But yeah, so everyone else's ships are getting pretty fucked up, yep. and so he just blasts right out of his ship, and Hal Jordan, I should say, blasts right out of his ship. And then... The, in his Green Lantern form. The ring reveals that the whole, like, you know, mind... The 2001 A Space Odyssey ending is all just a illusion. It's because they're near the center's brain, air quotes. I don't know if that is a brain or not. I love the fact that these ships are covered in, like, what looked goo and or gore, almost. Like, it's this flesh-looking mm -hmm. thing. It's great. That's something out of an OVA, I'd say. It's, it's great. I love it. And we actually get Captain Adams. We get his origin story here because... Captain Atom, uh, the character, the Charlton comics character, was his origin was that he died in an, uh, was an Air Force accident or a, yeah a, a plane accident, and that's in here. So he and then he reappears years later, and so we okay. get that. Huh. And uh, yeah, I wish we kind of had that later on that he showed up at the end somehow, not the very end, but I mean, I mean the very end of that book, but of the book anyway. Sorry, keep going on. We have them getting out of there and they detonated the nukes that had to disrupt the excuse me the center and then after that flash just bolts it to the center and i love how he gets up there it says i use the water to my mm -hmm. advantage kicking up a wall of ocean in front of me to ramp i almost feel like that was aquaman like he created the ramp and i'm like that's awesome <laughs> that's really good and then he just starts running along this like floor of organic matter it's even though it's grass but same thing but like just all this floor of multiple beings it's great and it starts spreading yeah. around this energy beam that is what use, the atom uses as shrinking method and starts shrinking the island the island the center down and we then get Hal and uh, Morgan talking about how you know Hal is now the Green Lantern, and it's like I gotta go contain the explosion because it's making its way over to uh, the shoreline. By the way, forgot to mention here there is a line that was dropped that it came to the Cape Canaveral because it needed the fuel to rocket itself out of Earth's atmosphere. That's what it needed the fuel for. Nice. So that's where it was. And then finally, we get the buttheads. Yeah, the old creeps. The old green creeps. They're not creeps here, I'll say that. They're certainly not yeah. creeps here. Look more like guardians here. They are the actual garden guardians of the universe. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and they do their little uh, explaining about what the what it means to be a Green Lantern and what what he's supposed to be doing. You know, I'm surprised. I was expecting. I think he may have like mentioned it offhand, but I was expecting the oath. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, maybe we'll get that a bit later, or he'd get that a bit later, I should say. We didn't. No, it's not. It, it's it's. I don't think it's in there. No, I don't think so either. But uh, then he just throws uh, the son of a gun into the stars because like the son of a gun wanted to see the stars, so I send him on his way and just like tosses him like a boss into the stars, and that 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 actually made me immediately think of the ending of uh, Disney's Hercules, where he has like all the Titans inside that one Titan, and then just throws them off earth and it just they just explode and yeah i couldn't help but think of that and i like that hal just leaves after that yeah he leaves um yeah he doesn't even show up again surprisingly enough uh on the in the it's not even the picture that's taking place but then we see uh this giant submarine submersible looking thing end up on or not even submersible it's a tank because it has treads on that stuff there's tanks or tracks excuse me and oh out appears King Arthur of Atlantis himself, and I didn't even think about it. I was like, oh golly, that makes... Why did I never think of that? That he's actually King of Atlantis, and his first name's Arthur. I'm a dummy. Uh, but we get, yeah, Aquaman rescued Superman, which obviously makes sense, because he landed up in the sea, and he be seems to be one of the... Everybody accepts him, which is pretty cool. Again, maybe because he just looks like a Caucasian. Finally... The epilogue. Yeah, but they're in the glow of victory that's, at this point. Yeah, that's so. true. And Lois embraces Superman there. Yep. And Heroes, exclusive coverage of America's Finest Hour by Lois Lane. Photographed by Jimmy Olsen. And <laughs> finally, we come to the new frontier. It is at long last yeah, the here. epilogue. Yeah, real long. <laughs> so, when I first read this, I, I told you this already, but uh, off camera, of course, or off recording, excuse me. But I was listening to, the first time I read this through, I was listening to the Baby uh, Baby Driver soundtrack, which has a lot of 60s uh, songs in it. And that really was, it felt appropriate. I really was in like just a 60s mood, because even though this is the 50s, but even still, I, I just had that mood in me, and I was very happy. I was even listening to the Dirty uh, Dancing soundtrack, which has a lot of uh, 50s and 60s tunes in it as well. But... At the very end, I have a, I have a CD uh, called the Best of Woodstock '69, and the very end, the last track is Jimi Hendrix doing his rendition of the Star Spangled Banner, the only version of Star Spangled Banner I actually like, other than certain rock, like when Metallica did it at I think a Sharks game, but that's probably one of the greatest, you know, and versions of that anthem ever and yeah i just listened to all of it throughout this you know this this speech and it was it was like i i don't even know how to describe it It was therapeutic and just (laughs) a sight to be seen it was great it certainly put me in a mood paired up with a brilliant uh, speech here and some brilliant images next to it as well see America kind of coming together more like that Wonder Woman's reading to a more ethnically diverse group of kids there in the future. Yep. Uh, John Wilson kind of gets some honor there. We see a young black kid reading a comic hopefully about him. But <laughs> That's Steel. 
And yeah, steel is literally just like shown here twice. Uh, the first time, you know, behind the gravestone of John Wilson. I'm, I'm kind of sad that we didn't have uh, his his wife and daughter, uh, their gravestones around there as well. I wish that was there, but that's okay. Oh, do we see him again besides that one image there? Of yeah, it's uh, I I assume that's him in the on 401 at the white only panel. Oh, okay. I mean, it could just be another yeah. like random kid. I have no idea, but I'm just. Yeah. I think that's supposed to be him. And then we have that one-page panel of Superman and John Jones, and I thought that was a C that they were looking at. That's Kansas. I'm like, oh, we're back in Smallville. Okay. Yeah, sea of corn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but this is this is great. It's using a famous JFK speech. Yeah. What do you What are your thoughts on that speech, if I may ask? I thought it was a perfect end for this this book, and kind of. Uh what JFK viewed as what was his future of the country was going to be kind of his reshaping of it before it was kind of cut short but and b personally what is your not just on this book but the speech itself what is that are you do you you agree with that do you think there's some problematic things there or do you think it's still a future to strive for no yes yeah, it's a future to strive for yeah I mean, it's definitely we're not definitely not living in a perfect future now. No, we're not, especially in America. No, we're not <laughs> around the world. But I would say, you know, since this is looking at the lens of America in this book, it's definitely not reached the goals that that speech would have put forward. Yeah, yeah, this is a great final image, by the way, to the last page here. Well, it's not the last. It's all them. The last thing, though. It's not the very last because then we continue. We're in the Mediterranean Sea. I'm surprised we're there. Oh yeah. And what do we see? Starro has returned. It, yeah. it emerges with all five of the Justice League fighting him in a callback to the first Justice League of America cover. Oh, really? Yep. That's pretty cool. Yep. And that's the book. Yeah, but, yeah, finally at the end here, it's almost three and a half hours. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it'll probably be at least maybe t three hours because there's a lot that will be trimmed out of there. I guess uh, the final thoughts, uh, if we can make them brief. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, we all have to work tomorrow. Uh, hmm, final thoughts. I'm glad this book exists, of course. I want more people to read this book and realize that these are good characters and they're not milk toast. They're not, that DC actually does mean something. And I do wish, as a kid, or yeah. As a kid, I could have got my hands on those comics, especially if you look at the cover uh, arts, like the the, the the covers of each single trade, or of each in issue. Excuse me, it's wonderful uh, in the back there. But this is something I'd love to do. Of just it's it's mass welding of of characters and stories together. But it's almost like could this be written as a book, like in in like a, in a book form instead of taking individual characters and like oh they're going off on their own adventures and we see them have like a series to themselves what if we did more like this is an event series almost an event comic but I don't know it just feels like a smarter one almost yeah no that, that's fair it's definitely probably the best event comic that I've read if you can really call it an event comic but I mean I don't really think it did lead up in that same kind of structure uh, unless you want to count Infinity Gauntlet I think this is better written than Infinity Gauntlet. Really? Gauntlet. It's extremely fun. 
Yeah, I mean, I, could, I wouldn't call anything in Infinity Gauntlet except for Thanos kind of a deep exploration of anything. That's fair. It's just the just an awesome uh, space adventure. Yeah, that's true. I mean, as as Captain Eric once called it, it could be told in a Greek epic format. Yep. Whereas this is not not just um, a look at these characters, but what these characters kind of represent in terms of uh, their place in history at that time. So yeah, I, I, I yeah, I'm really happy with this book. Definitely uh, very smart, very beautifully drawn, which you know is one of the big appeals for comics for me. A sometimes even a great book can be ruined by bad art. I think. And I don't think there's a single ounce of bad art in this book. Like there's not. And this is yep. just something that I think every artist and a writer dreams of when they can. I think artists really is when they can write and draw a story of this magnitude other than like mobius uh, and, and maybe certain uh japanese artists and comic artists and or writers i don't know if i've ever seen something of this magnitude before i guess akira am i talking about it? and nausicaa those are both japanese comics yeah i guess so <laughs> but like just naming ones that i know of those two of how like epic this this is Mm-hmm. And it's all done by a single person. I mean, other than maybe the team as well of like the, of the the lighting and of the the coloring and the panel layouts or lettering. That's what I want to say. Yeah, but uh, definitely anyone who hasn't read this. I mean, I guess we just spoiled the whole book for you if you even made it this far. But thank you if you made it this far. Um, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, you can blame me for this one. Yeah, work in progress. Or maybe our future comic reviews won't be in this, in this format. I, don't I know. just I didn't know how I was gonna talk about it. I just need to write general topics of what to talk about instead of just the whole thing. But certainly a good inaugural episode. I'll say that. And please go buy this book, even if it is like it's one of I think it's one of the best mainstream comics ever. It's definitely a top ten from what I've read. I mean, excellent. Not in terms of like a run, but it's oh yeah. One concise story brilliant yeah i guess as a, well as a graphic novel yeah one of the best graphic novels ever made but yeah as like in mainstream dc marvel comic books and not creator own work yeah it's 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 really good it's 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 fantastic yeah and just before we shut this down was it like a 12 issue kind of release or was it like do you know i believe it was i i i, I fully don't know but i think it was something like that oh, okay yeah, I mean, again, such concise, great storytelling. It was just awesome. Yeah, again, this is what every creator would love to do uh, if they're working in the comic book industry. But with that, thank you for putting up with me. <laughs> I hope you got... Also, I learned that the uh, the was the Buccaneers won against uh, the Chiefs, so... Okay. I, I was kind of hoping yeah. for the Bucks to win anyway, but... I definitely look forward to more comic reviews in the future. I'm really hoping we can get some more in there, but yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll do some different experiments, see what we can do to get it to find a good balance. And maybe it'd be better for shorter books too. Oh, kind yeah, of, certainly. Not about panel by panel, but page by page at least. It's not going to be panel by panel, don't worry. But <laughs> thank you, ladies, gentlemen, and those in between for listening to this episode of the Novice Elitist uh, Comic Talks. I don't know what we're calling this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, exactly. If you and your family are in a Stepford Wives situation and it's controlled by the center, you're actually on the center, 
and you find that there are heroes, or not heroes, there are invaders, terrorists, who are attacking your city. And all the heroes are legal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but these are terrorists that are attacking your town, and get to the bottom of the fact that you're all part of the center. But you wonder if the center is actually good, and you're part of that. I don't know. I have no idea. Peace. <laughs> Talk about a nihilistic ending. Yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. I have no idea where I was going with that.